Please, don't be alarmed. We're not going to harm anyone. We're mutants. We're not what you think. Across the planet, debate rages. Are mutants the next link in the evolutionary chain? They have been regarded with fear, suspicion, often hatred. There are forces in this world who believe that a war is coming. We're here to stay. The next move is yours. We'll be watching. Hang on to something. Welcome to Now Playing's X-Men Retrospective Series. Welcome to Mutant High. Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. You talk pretty tough for a guy in a cape. Hosted by Jacob. We got ourselves an X-Men fan. Stuart. I am not whatever it is you think I am. And Arnie. He's a friend of mine. Friend with a big mouth. I hear that a lot. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new movie review. Who will you stand with? The humans or us? These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised. Let's do this. Today we're discussing Logan, starring Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, Richard E. Grant, Boyd Holbrook, Stephen Merchant, and introducing Daphne Keene. It's Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and it's 2029. Why are we still talking about mutants? Stewart in L.A. And this is the host that's considered God's mistake, Jacob. Why are we still talking about mutants? Because Fox still owns the property, <laughs> right? And one year after Deadpool, we're getting another R-rated X-Men movie. James Mangold back from The Wolverine. I find it interesting that they decided to go with him. A lot of this is based on Hugh Jackman pushing him. They've been friends for 20 years. Somehow their friendship survived Kate and Leopold. And Jackman insistent that he wanted to come back for one last one, only going to do it if it could be right. I read a lot of interviews with James Mangold, and he rails. He's like, are people movie critics or television critics? Are you reviewing a film or are you reviewing a franchise? He's pissed about continuity. He doesn't like working in the studio system. He doesn't like when people ask him, hey, why is Caliban different actor in your <laughs> film than in Apocalypse? He really rankles against that. But they came to this movie saying, we're only going to even make it at all if we make it our way. One of that was an R rating and not for the reasons you might think. So that's not a reaction to Deadpool. Fox allowed it after Deadpool, but okay. it was something being pushed before Deadpool. And the reason being, Mangold felt like The Wolverine was a compromised film. The third act, he said, was a capitulation to the studio, which I think we could all agree. And I think I've always said, like, the problem with Wolverine on screen is you they want to tell you what a badass, scary guy is, but it's hard to do when you got to keep it PG-13 that you really did need an R-rated film to show him truly unleash. Oh my god, when I saw this movie, I realized how compromised the last Wolverine movie was. It, <laughs> it didn't come off that way. I thought it was a good movie, but yeah, the, it, this is the remake done in a no-compromise fashion. And you can tell there's lots of things that feel similar to the Japanese episode, but yeah, don't have the varnish of Hollywood product to it. The fact that they're not even calling it X-Men, the fact that it's Logan... And that you may not even recognize, if you haven't seen an X-Men movie before, that it's tied to that universe. 
Yeah, I was wondering about the marketing of this. Is that going to affect it? Because I noticed my Thursday night preview night, I thought it was going to be busy. It was not very packed at all. And I got to wonder if that's because this is just called Logan and they're using a weird uh, Schindler's List type poster of people holding hands for this movie. No, that's a fluke. I've got to believe. I mean, this thing is already making a killing in midnight screenings on Thursday. I saw it on Thursday. I don't know where you were, but I guess everyone was in my theater. I saw this in a pretty full theater on a Thursday night. I went to the IMAX screening. But as far as the marketing goes, that's what Mangold was saying, is the things I didn't like about the Wolverine were Silver Samurai's CGI Ed 209 suits. Yeah, and Super Shredder at the end. <laughs> Viper, what was she doing there? And those were all things because Fox's marketing department was there saying, we want toys, we want tie-ins. Even in editing, he said that he was told scenes couldn't be too long because you're going to lose a 12-year-old's attention span when making The Wolverine. And he didn't want to make a movie like that. So his idea of the R rating wasn't just that Wolverine needs to be bloody. And I'll argue with what you said, Jacob. I don't know that this movie would be a lesser movie if we didn't have all the people stabbed in the head and the limbs chopped off. I think that's not what makes this movie unique, but what the R rating allowed is the marketing people were like, okay, well, we can't do a serial tie-in. We're not going to have the tie-in Twinkies on this one. And so he was able to make a movie without that kind of editorial interference to allow long scenes, to allow a more slow film aimed specifically at adults. So that's why he fought for the R rating and got it. You're able to have Bone Breaker without tank treads, just be like a normal dude with a robot arm. Definitely not going for that comic book vibe or the toy vibe. Well, since you're the comic book guy, I gotta ask. The one thing I know about this movie going in was that they were finally getting to a highly touted comic book arc called Old Man Logan. Is it all that it's supposed to be? Okay, Old Man Logan and Logan, I guess they're both in the future, and Logan's old, and he kind of goes on a road trip. That is where the similarities end. Like, Old Man Logan is a crazy fun comic book story about the future where superheroes have taken over the world. Wolverine killed a bunch of the X-Men. There is Venom who combines to a dinosaur. The T-Rex symbiote is awesome. <laughs> wow. Yes, that is like the best part. Like the Hulk eats Wolverine and the Wolverine like puts himself back together in his intestines and like cuts his way out of them. <laughs> like it's a crazy story. Like it is, this is not old man Logan. Like that might have given him an idea for, hey, let's do a slow road trip movie. But yeah, you've missed nothing if you didn't read that comic book. Okay. I see parallels, but yeah, you don't need to read the comic book. And in the comic, first of all, it's by Mark Millar, who did Kick-Ass and all of that. So that should give you an idea of the kind of thing we're seeing. The tone. It is Wolverine on a road trip with a blind Hawkeye. And so you've got an infirmed person with Wolverine on a cross-country trip. So in that way, yes, it's similar. And it seems to take place in a desolate, almost desert area the whole time. You've got kind of that look here. I think they read it and are like, okay, first of all, we can't even have the Hulk. We can't have Hawkeye. We don't own any of these characters. So there were ideas taken, cherry-picked. We'll do a little bit of that. We'll do a little bit of this. But what I'm also getting is, is that Old Man Logan is very much a crazy comic book style. And this, obviously, is a much more subdued, Almost not a superhero movie. 
yeah, this feels, I, I think you called it Texas Noir, Stuart. I, that mm-hmm. is the vibe you get from this film. I mean, maybe it's because I just recently rewatched Helen Highwater. Like, it's got more in common with that than that Old Man Logan comic book. I kept going back to Unforgiven, that Clint Eastwood, yeah. Gene Hackman. Pick any Western. Well, they even show clips of Shane. I mean, I definitely feel like a Western is where they're at here. And yeah, I'm cool with that because James Mangold made one of the best Westerns of the last 10 years. In my mind, 310 to Yuma, I can go with that vibe. I think I'm always excited when they take comic books and ground them. I'm the guy that thinks Dark Knight is the best comic book movie ever made. So yeah, as much as I've enjoyed some of the crazier, trippier, kick-ass and even first class The idea that we're going to get a somber, R-rated, final bow, a finite story here, all of this is very appealing to my sensibilities. Unless Disney could get Wolverine into the Avengers. Hugh Jackman said he'll come back for that. I do have a lot of questions about what happens to this franchise in the future, but I think that we'll talk about that after we go through the movie. Yeah, although... This movie starts by talking about the future before it has its (laughs) finite thing. I'll tell you, again, I went to the IMAX screening. 2D, by the way. Shocked, not wearing glasses. Again, R-rated film, marketing. Why put that money into a format that's primarily there in kids' movies these days? I'm happy to say that the fad of everything being 3D is going away. There's still a lot of 3D. It's not selling the tickets it once did. So for this movie, why bother? Thank you for not making me get the IMAX headache. But there was the IMAX countdown. You guys, I'm sure, see that where it starts all ugly and then they give you the most high-def image they can. And I start taking furious notes. I'm like, okay, it's starting. There's feet kicking a can. It's a bleak, dark street. (laughs) The guy in a hoodie. It's got to be Logan. What's going... Angel of the Morning? They fooled me. They start with a Deadpool 2 mini-movie. I was taken back to Big Hero 6, where we discussed Feast first. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I knew this movie was starting because all the lights went off. Even during the trailers, they kind of keep some of the lights on. But all the lights went off. It was dark. And as soon as that hoodie gets pulled back, I'm like, wait, Deadpool's in this? Is is Wolverine going to, like, kill him right at the beginning? (laughs) And then I saw the decrepit movie theater in the background showing Logan. I'm like, okay, this has got to be something different because this is supposed to be, like, a dark somber movie and and the fact that it's like gonna have Deadpool making jokes for the first five minutes come on this is something different I was so not keyed into Deadpool that even after he took the hoodie off I was like oh this must be the villain I didn't even (laughs) recognize it as Ryan Reynolds it took me an extra beat I actually think it was when I noticed that the movie theater had Logan posters outside of it and I was like oh oh okay and then of course the Superman theme John Williams classic Superman theme kicks in as he's going into that phone booth and I realized what I was getting here. This is smart, right? For two reasons. One, it says we're not going to play by the rules that Marvel proper movies play. We're going to put our stinger at the start. And we also have a very bleak movie whose tone should not be wrecked by Deadpool at the very end after all the credits. You want people to leave feeling moved. You don't want them chuckling. And before the movie started, Marjorie had read online that the end credit scene was Deadpool 2. And I'm like, that can't be. They haven't even finished casting Deadpool 2. Do they have a director even? Yes, it's David Leach who worked on the first John Wick film, and he directed this opening stinger as well. Oh, okay. And he's going to be doing the second one. And 
I'll admit, I was laughing hard when he gets in that phone booth and is changing. And it's the whole thing is he sees a mugging. And instead of just stopping the mugging, he decides to go change into the Deadpool outfit and spends a couple minutes doing so. And there's a lot of Easter eggs in this. And people are saying that what this actually is, is a subtle casting announcement over who's going to play Cable. Because on the phone book, it has some graffiti that says Nathan Summers coming soon. Of course, C-U-M-M-I-N-G. I did see that, yes. And Nathan Summers is Scott Summers' son, also known as Cable. And then strangely, for reasons that I couldn't explain when I was sitting in the theater, when Deadpool bursts out of the phone booth, what's behind him? A whole bunch of Firefly posters. And I'm like... They're not trying to bring back that old horse. Why are there so many Firefly posters? Apparently, Nathan Fillion is in the running for Cable, and people are saying this may be a subtle way of saying Nathan Fillion is Cable. Hmm. I didn't get that. I'm not a Firefly person, but yeah, I noticed a lot of graffiti there. Yeah, never watch Firefly. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, I know who he is. Yeah, I saw Slither. I mean, I understand that he is an affable kind of like... David Duchovny with more of a sense of humor. There's He would fit within the Deadpool realm. There's a level of sarcasm to his performances that will pair nicely with Ryan Reynolds, I suppose. Assuming that you agree with their tagline that this movie can't come soon enough. <laughs> I, of course, am in that minority that was left kind of shrugging over Deadpool. I didn't dislike it. I thought Ryan Reynolds actually was very good in it. I get what you're saying. I enjoyed this teaser. I laughed. I didn't think it was the most well- constructed first film but it was enjoyable and when ryan reynolds buns are pressed against that phone booth i'm laughing yeah i liked all the deadpool stuff though when he was doing television commercials and all of the various meta promotions he did i found that to be as fun as the movie so i really did enjoy this i also got a big kick i don't know if you guys noticed everyone of course is going to be talking about the Superman theme that they play so much of during that changing. But at the end, when he, of course, didn't rescue the guy, and he's laying there talking to the corpse and is eating his Cherry Garcia ice cream, they bring out the score from True Romance, and I know those steel drums anywhere. It's a fun bit of music sting for people that don't recognize it. Followed by... uh... A scroll that I couldn't... Obviously, I'm not a speed reader. Yeah, there's something about the old man in the sea. That's all I caught. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I caught that too. Is it a joke on old man Logan? Was it uh, all things old? I No, it's just a retelling of the old man in the sea, Deadpool style. Why? I don't know. It is just, I think, making fun of how at the end of trailers, they make the names go flying. And I only found this out because they did post this online just Saturday morning. I think it leaked, so they probably just officially released it. I read last night it leaked out. Yeah, so I was able to freeze frame it there. But what they put online wasn't what I saw in theaters. Because what I saw in theaters, I mentioned, it started Angel of the Morning. The one online has the St. Elmo's Fire, Man in Motion in it. And I kept reading about people talking about the Stan Lee cameo in the Deadpool thing. You're right, I... I didn't see him either. Was he in this film? I don't think of Stanley until he shows up. Yeah, he wasn't in it in theaters, but sure enough, somehow they got him to show up for this one that they did online. And so it's also got less Superman theme because when he's running at the criminal, it's now playing Man in Motion, whereas the original still playing the Superman theme. But it is out there now, and you can try to read that whole old man in the sea thing if you want to. Okay, yeah, you know, so 
excited. I assume my audience was giggling. They seemed to enjoy this. I mean, it's a funny web clip bit. It's it's not a teaser for the movie, but it reminded me that Deadpool makes me laugh. I'm more excited for Deadpool 2 than I am X-Men Supernova or New Mutants, as that tells you anything, so... I don't even know what that is, but I have seen the X-Men show that's running. Have you guys watched Legion? Yeah. I have not watched it. It's on my DVR. I missed the first episode, so I'm waiting for that to come around in reruns in about two weeks. Is it good? It's different. It's not Generation X? No. Fox is definitely realizing that if it's going to carve its own way into the superhero realm and get cash, it has to do so by being different from Marvel. They can't imitate Marvel. And so it's more like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the TV series, than it is anything X. The fact that they're mutants is almost beside the point. It's the fact that they're incarcerated and medicated that really is the thrust of the show. So I don't know. You know, I only watched uh, about an hour of the pilot. I don't know where they're going to go with it. But I think that if you are a superhero fan, you may be weirded out at how unconventional it is. It's not getting a lot of buzz. The people I talk to aren't talking about it. So that I found interesting. There is also going to be an X-Men TV series. I think it comes in the fall. They don't have a name for it other than X-Men. Brian Singer is shepherding that. So I imagine that'll be more to the taste of people that go to the movies. Legion is something different. Logan is something different. And it should be reminded that Deadpool was something different as well. So I think that that is what they're doing. Fantastic Four was different too, but probably not for the reasons that they wanted. No. But yes, this movie is something different. R-rated. Fox can own the R-rated space. I don't see Disney ever saying, yeah, let's make that R-rated Doctor Strange sequel. They have Punisher, right? How's that going to work? Netflix. Mm. He has his own Netflix series coming soon after being in Daredevil season two. Okay, well, now that they have license to do the story that they really want... We should probably find out what that is, Arnie. Give him the plot. We'll get into Logan. The year is 2029 and mutants are nearly extinct. The Alkali Transigen Company has secretly been using processed food and drinks as gene therapy, eliminating the random mutations. The X-Men are no more, remembered more for comic book fictionalizations of their adventures than for what they really did. It's in this world we find the mutant once known as Wolverine, also known as Logan, birth names James Howlett, and played by Hugh Jackman. Got all those names? They use them all. This former superhero now makes his living as a limo driver in Texas. His nearly 200-year-old body is finally giving out on him, his mutant healing factor slowed as he's slowly poisoned by the adamantium bonded to his bones. He is also caregiver to his former teacher, Professor Charles Xavier, played by Patrick Stewart. The legendary mutant telepath is now suffering from Alzheimer's, prone to seizures that send psychic attacks on all those around him. One such fit even killed several of the X-Men about a year earlier. Unaware of his own sins, Xavier lives in a steel tank meant to contain his psychic powers. He's on a heavy dose of medicine that keeps him in a fugue but prevents the seizures. Helping to care for Charles is the sun-sensitive mutant Caliban, played by Stephen Merchant. The trio is biding their time until Logan can save enough money to buy a boat, allowing Logan and Charles to live on the sea where the professor can't hurt anyone else. And if things get too hard, Logan has an adamantium bullet he keeps to kill himself. But their plans fall apart when Logan is tracked down by Gabriella, a Mexican woman played by Elizabeth Rodriguez. 
She's come with an 11-year-old girl named Laura, played by Daphne Keene. They're on the run, and Gabriella has sought help from the legendary Wolverine to provide them safe transport to North Dakota. Gabriella gives a cover story about running from Laura's abusive father, but the truth is much more insidious. South of the border, the Transigen Company has been creating mutant children in a lab. Their X-23 project intended to create super-powered soldiers. When the children proved resistant to be hired killers, the project's head, Dr. Xander Rice, played by Richard E. Grant, ordered the children to be terminated. The Mexican caregivers, including Gabriella, banded together to steal the children, taking them north to save their lives. Gabriella was separated from the others, but they are supposed to gather at a set of coordinates on the Canadian border, a place she calls Eden. And there is one more secret. The girl Laura is actually a child made from Logan's DNA taken in X-Men Apocalypse. The girl has super healing, berserker rage attacks, claws that come from her hands and feet, and Transigen even bonded adamantium to her skeleton, too. To hunt down Laura, the Transigen Company have sent out their paramilitary troops called the Reavers, led by Donald Pierce, played by Boyd Holbrook. Logan just wants to take Charles and run from this trouble, but the Professor has been mentally communicating with the mute girl and insists they save Laura as well. The three escape a Reaver attack in Logan's limo and flee north, chased by the Reavers who have kidnapped Caliban and torture him so he will use his mutant tracking powers to help them locate the runaway girl. The trio bond a bit on the road and they stop at Oklahoma City. The Reavers attack and are slowed by one of Xavier's seizures, and it's in Oklahoma City that Logan realizes Eden isn't even a real place. It's taken from one of the old X-Men comic books. But at Charles' insistence, the three continue to the coordinates. Along the way, they also encounter a family of farmers, the Munsons, with horses loose on the interstate. Charles insists they help this family recover their horses, and to pay back the kindness, the Munsons take in the three people who they believe to be grandfather, father, and daughter. But at the Munsons, the Reavers catch up, and Rice has brought his X-24 project, a direct rage-filled clone of Logan. X-24 kills Xavier and all the Munsons, Caliban kills himself with some Reaver grenades, and Logan fights his younger clone to a standstill, both seriously wounded, before Laura and Logan again hit the road. Logan is seriously injured, passing out, and Laura reveals she can actually speak, but mostly Spanish. Still, she pesters Wolverine until he caves and drives her to the coordinates in North Dakota, and when they arrive, they find the other mutant children have made it there as well, and they have a contact in Canada who will give them sanctuary. But they are again followed by the Reavers and Dr. Rice. They start to gather the children, and when Logan tries to defend them, X-24 is again released. The children and Logan take out Rice and the Reavers, and it comes down to X-24 versus a heavily wounded Logan. But X-24 is finally killed when Laura takes Logan's adamantium bullet and blows off 24's head. But Logan is far too wounded. He dies from his injuries. Laura and the children bury the legendary X-Man, and then they trek north to Canada as credits roll. So basically... We have an entire movie about a bunch of Mexican immigrants illegally going north across the borders. <laughs> Nothing topical. Why did they make this movie? I can't imagine what it has to say about our current times. You know, I like this too. I'm going to throw that out there. I always like science fiction that's near future. That's only, what, is this movie about 12 years away from actually being? Yeah, 2029. Yeah. It took me a second to realize that. It sneaks up on you. For the opening scene, you might just think that, oh, 
they have some cool holographic billboards down in Texas. It's not till I heard the radio DJ, I knew for sure, okay, we aren't in 2017. I was really paying attention to the timeline because before this came out, there were some rumors this may not actually be taking place in the proper X-Men film universe. This could be a parallel universe story like Old Man Logan was in the Marvel comics. That was just a what-if kind of scenario. So I was really looking at it. I got 2029 off of, of all things, Logan's driver's license. We see he has a limo driver's license that expired in 29, and then the DJ confirmed it. What confused me, and I did have to go back after the movie, is, yeah, Stuart, you call this near future. This has got to be before Days of Future Past, because with those, like, liquid T2 Sentinels flying, that seemed like very far future. But that was actually 2023, six years before this film, I guess. And this whole timeline's been changed because of time travel, but it was confusing at first. But I do like just the subtle hints they give. We'll see some, like, driverless semis at one point. We're told that tigers have gone extinct. So, yeah, they don't beat you over the head. We'll see some, like, drones watering some crops. But, yeah, it's just very subtle touches luke skywalker like replacement limbs are everywhere seemingly just for the reavers which if you deal with a bunch of mutant kids you lose limbs and you got to replace them (laughs) i think all of them were lost to laura yes i think that's why they all have the limbs the important question is can i buy this chrysler i know it's a 2024 (laughs) in the movie but they've got to be thinking this is some in product some really good in product placement here that logan is now an uber driver in a really cool car this is an opener that couldn't be better for setting the tone here's logan grumpy asleep not looking himself not having that awesome physique that he's had even recently in the last wolverine movie and days of future past he was in really good physical condition now he's stumbling out of his car trying to first talk four guys out of stop please (laughs) the chrome hubcaps and then of course he has to break out the claws and boy you can feel the audience recoil when that starts going on i do love like one of the claws doesn't fully come out (laughs) like two do one doesn't it kind of gets stuck i guess in his bones it's what wolverine arthritis but yeah this is telling again it's a nice visual instead of just telling us what's going on a nice showing us is he gets his ass kicked that was a shock that he gets mostly beat up until he goes into berserker rage finally but it's painful to watch wolverine in this state he's always kicking ass until now it is and to be honest i had to look up hugh jackman's age because Watching this movie, they made him look like a man in his 60s, if not older. I mean, right now we're in a time where 60 is younger than it used to be, and especially in Hollywood, they make 60-year-olds look younger. Hugh Jackman was only like 47 when this was made. They aged him, and that is something you don't really see. He does not feel like somebody our age, basically, in this movie. They grade his hair, they grade his beard. He's still in amazing physical shape, but he's not in that weird berserker mode he was during his horrible cameo in Apocalypse. But yeah, this fight, this is where they got their R rating immediately, right? He gets mad when they shoot his car. He, in fact, jumps in front of a gun to take a bullet so the bullet doesn't hit the car. It's telling how pathetic his life has become. Like, that is the thing he wants to protect. I, I've Again, this builds mystery, and I'm like, why does he care so much about this car? Well, it's because it's his livelihood, and I guess he owes money on it still. I thought it was his boss's car, and <laughs> he was going to be in trouble with his boss. I didn't realize he was an independent contractor. 
But it's telling that this is what he cares about now. It's no longer protecting humans against Magneto or fighting evil mutants. It's about protecting a car. Yeah, it's humbling to see and no vanity, either for the character or for Hugh Jackman. You're right. Any actor would usually want to be looking their best, except in that one scene. You know, like, I'll get one scene where I'll show you I'm really acting by being ugly and strung out. But this whole movie... Hugh is looking really weathered and willing to show himself at his worst. Yeah, even at the big climax, he's like out of breath, panting, like he can't even run to save kids. The whole time, this isn't based, I would say, not based off of Old Man Logan, but he is an old man now. And times have changed. The world is changing. There are no mutants. I don't know when it is. I think I had to be told that. But it was clear just by the people he was meeting that there weren't a lot of people with powers and he goes to a funeral. I think that this is someone that he knows, but actually that's just someone that hired him to take him to the funeral. And uh, he's approached by Gabrielle at this point. The plot starts kicking in. Uh, he's identified as the only one that can help her and her quote unquote daughter. I don't watch Orange is the New Black, but I guess this actress, Elizabeth Rodriguez, is pretty big on that show and has done a lot of TV work. But yeah, she has located him because of the limo attack, because all of the limbs he chopped off and everything, it became pretty obvious that that was a Wolverine attack. And so she's there to help, says she has money, but... Logan just leaves her in the rain. She knows him from comic books, right? She knows a legend. A big theme of this movie is people's history as foretold by comic books not being the reality. And this movie reflecting a grimmer, darker side to having superpowers. I mean, this is a joke that they, I think they took from Hellboy. I mean, Hellboy made this joke too, that there are Hellboy comics in that universe that are kind of, yeah, smokescreen what's really going on. And here, yeah, it, it makes sense. If there were X-Men, you would have these weird X-Men comics that took bits of their true story and then just fictionized it all. Gave him his yellow outfit. We finally see a yellow outfit. Yeah, these look like real covers, I'm assuming. They're not. They're not? No? They are not. I was wondering, oh, is this Eden storyline real? No. This was made up for the movie. They actually got a modern artist. I could tell from the art that they were not vintage. That art is way too modern looking. But no, these were made up for the movie. They fooled me because they looked like Claremont era comics. They really did. I went to read those comics and found out, no, that is not the right issues. I even wrote down the issue numbers so I could go to them. And no, not true. I thought this might be our Stan Lee cameo because I didn't see him in this movie. I thought maybe they were taking some of his old issues. He could have been in Oklahoma City gambling. There's a lot of old people there, but no, he is not in this film. Mm. Yeah, well, you know what? Again, breaking the rules. We're not doing what the Marvel movies do. We're not trying to be entertaining. I really feel like the emphasis here is we're doing this movie to show a man at his worst. And if you don't want to look at that, maybe you should find another show. I really appreciate the tone being set here. It's a long, slow movie. And it's painful. And I appreciate that they're able to hit that tone with this film. Because, again, for so many movies, Wolverine says, I'm the best at what I do. And what I do isn't very good. 
finally, he's not being a very good person. I feel like they've always had to hedge their bets on, on that because, oh, it's a superhero movie and it's a big franchise. And yeah, now they got whatever, the pull, the director, Jackman's behind there and he's got the influence. They could tell this movie about someone that isn't very good now, that he's not a great guy. He's, yeah, driving around bridesmaids <laughs> instead of saving this little girl. But he still has a heart of gold. He's still taking care of Professor X when nobody else will. Yeah, the old cue ball hidden south of the border. We're told before we see he has an exchange at the, I guess it's the back alley of a hospital where he's buying drugs from an EMT and he's spotted by a bounty hunter whose name I had to look up after the movie was over. Pierce? Is this somebody? Yeah, I mean, he's part of the Reavers. The Reavers, they started out as a group of, it was very Mad Max, like these cybernetic humans from Australia that with robot pieces, and then they got defeated by the X-Men and reformed again, and Pierce is part of them. A lot of these, I don't know if you remember Lady Deathstrike. I don't even, they, mm-hmm. I don't even know if they called her that in X2, but yeah, yeah she was one of the Reavers, not, I don't think in this universe, but in the comics at least. All right, and they're not mutants. He makes a comment about how, see, I have enhancements too, but all of his are by science, by having the hand and... Correct, yeah. There hasn't been a new mutant in 20 years, they say. None have been born. I do like this actor. He Boyd Holbrook is the star of Narcos. Yeah, he's playing it just right, where he's kind of a fan. I mean, he tells Wolverine that. He's like, you know, I, I like you, but there's something sinister about the way he hands him his card and is like, if you see Gabriella again, you need to call me. And Logan freaks out over that. He knows he's in trouble. He's, what, trying to get a boat? Is he going to go, like, just out to sea and live on the ocean? That's what I take it as, is because of Professor Xavier's attacks, if he can get him out on the sea, Logan is more resistant to the attacks than anyone else, so he won't be killed by it, and then he won't have to drug Xavier and keep him in a steel drum. And, yeah, I noticed when Pierce gives Logan that business card— Alkali Transigen, and of course, it was Alkali Lake where Logan was bonded to the adamantium way back in X-Men Origins Wolverine and all of that, and that was in X2. And what I read was, based off that post credit sequence in Apocalypse... That was supposed to be Mr. Sinister, and he was going to get this blood and make, I don't know, a fake Wolverine or X-23. That was supposed to be a teaser for this, but I guess Mangold, he didn't want to go with someone as comic booky as Mr. Sinister, so he's changed all this. He's changed it to this new corporation, Transigen, and, and kind of just left that as, uh, we're not going to play off of that teaser. I think that helps because, it, it again, it creates this sense that there are no more mutants except these three. This guy is a mutant killer. He feels like that TV reality TV star dog, kind of without the steroids. Don't diss <laughs> this, this character, comparing him to Dog the Bounty Hunter. Yeah, well, he's got the tats and, you know, the gold it's tooth. It's that gold tooth. Yeah. I, I do love the gold tooth. Yeah, exactly. There's just something about him that's both charming and sinister. I assume he's going to be the villain. Yeah, of course. That accent. He's going to be the villain. His little drawl, his the fact that he breaks into Logan's limo, he is oozing slime from the beginning. He doesn't feel like a physical threat against even this half-powered Logan, but you can tell that with the business card and his confidence, he's got some muscle behind him. 
I don't know that this movie is about villains. I don't know that this movie has good villains. You know, we've got basically Pierce and later we're going to meet Xander Rice. I don't think either of them are going to go down in the pantheon of, hey, remember how evil these people were and how good they were? But they're going to be the form of the resistance that our protagonist has to overcome. They're going to just be the ones giving the chase in the chase film. I I never thought Pierce was going to be the big bad. I mean, literally at one point, the subtext is going to be text as Wolverine has to take on his reckless youth (laughs) in this film. But yeah, I never took Pierce. He was going to be a menace. He was going to push the plot along. But I never thought the final showdown was going to be Logan versus Pierce. Yeah, Pierce just wants this mystery girl, you know, what's claimed to be Gabriella's daughter. And Logan is incidental. He doesn't care that he's buying these drugs. He doesn't care that Charles is south of the border. He's got one thing in mind. And now that Logan's mixed up in it, it means that Pierce is going to keep an eye on him. And boy, did they build the wall? I feel like when we go... (laughs) Yes, there is a wall there. (laughs) Yeah, it seemed like there... I mean, I haven't really been... Uh, You know, it doesn't look like this down in TJ, but yeah, we see the state of the last mutant resistance and it's really, boy, if you weren't already getting a depressing vibe from his life as an Uber driver that all of a sudden, yeah, to see Charles reduced to a senile old man locked in a rusty, it looks like Cerebro, like gone to rust. Well, yeah, that I mean, it's a water tower, but that's definitely what they're referencing. Well, it's actually better than what I thought. When Logan pulls up, there's this bald guy in a Golden Girls straw cap and a scarf, and I thought that was Xavier. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're saying the mutants are in a sad state. The last three, Xavier, Wolverine, okay, those are pretty good ones. And Caliban? Wait, wait I, I remember this name. This is from Apocalypse, right? This was like the weird mutant guy that I didn't even know what he was doing in that film. He was giving people visas. That's right. I, I didn't put that... I, you know, you say Caliban, I think Shakespeare, but okay... <laughs> I think X-Men Apocalypse. I know, sad. American education. (laughs) I think the X-Men comic books. But yes, he was the one where Psylocke was just hanging out and Apocalypse and Mystique come and visit him. Different actor. Yeah, totally different, I think, character. Again, I don't think they're worrying about continuity with those X-Men films so much. Yeah, Stephen Merchant, I know, he created The Office, and I watched the British version of that show. He would appear on it occasionally, and he did another HBO show. He's a comedian, and I always think of him as being very goofy and awkward. Here, his awkwardness is being used more for tragedy. He's a character that can't be exposed to the sun, and it seems like his history was hunting down mutants and helping them be exterminated. Yeah, they said that he used to work for Transigen, and he that was his mutant power in both Apocalypse and Here, is that he can locate mutants. But I don't know if he was in an extermination program. I mean, maybe he was just helping them track down mutant DNA. They had to get it from somewhere, and later they did say that they weren't doing anything as insidious as mutant genocide. And Caliban, he doesn't seem to know about what Transigen is doing, though. He doesn't seem to think that there are new mutants. I guess he has to pinpoint it. But yes, he's the caregiver there. It's a pretty thankless job. He said he has to make Professor X spotted dick and fold Logan's underwear. Yes, it is sad. It is bleak. It is apocalyptic in in the same way that that Sentinel future was but without the comic book sheen. You know, that Sentinel future still felt like a comic book. This just feels like end of days stuff. Like, I mean, I feel like all of these guys have maybe a year left. They're never going to get to the ocean. They're never going to get to that boat. 
And in fact, I don't think that Caliban is is meant for a sunshine cruise. I mean, he wouldn't last a second. No, he's Nosferatu, as he calls out. He's going to have to stay below deck. You know what I think we can really credit this? We talked about Deadpool allowing the R rating. But whereas Days of Future Past, I saw that future as being basically James Cameron's Terminator. Here, I feel we're like two steps off the Fury Road with the artificial limbs and the desert landscape and the anti-hero who doesn't want to get involved. Did you guys get that kind of Mad Max vibe? That was going through my head when, again, Reavers being cybernetic humans from Australia in the comics, and then you got them showing up here with robot hands like Furiosa. Yeah, again, a better sci-fi film. Well, T2's pretty great, but I think they reference Mad Max better here than Days of Future Past reference T2 or Terminator. Yeah, I just think that maybe Fury Road did help pave the way for Mangold and Jackman getting this movie off the ground with its bleak vision. And yeah, this is our Tom Hardy. It feels nice to be treated as an adult. I didn't need the super violence, although I would say that it did add a certain level. I saw Wolverine in a new light when I saw him kill the way that he did. But what's more important is that we're just not having to worry about a kid audience. I know they're going to be there. They weren't in my theater, but I'm sure families are going to take them. And I just don't know what they're going to make of them because there's just very little. There is a child here. We are going to see that Logan is going to be recruited to help a child. And that, you know, usually means that there'll be some kitty things. No, not with this child. Yeah. If the marketing leads you to believe that it's just going to be a few moments of violence and it will mostly be about a father and daughter relationship that's loving, I just wouldn't want to have that conversation with my kid afterwards. Mangold intentionally wanted to steer clear of the cutesy stuff that would happen usually when you introduce a little kid to something like this. Yeah, this is no Iron Man 3, thankfully. No, this is not Curly Sue with Nick Nolte. Yeah. And the way that he did that is by making her mute. She does not speak for good two-thirds of the film. And then when she does speak, her first language is Spanish. And so doing this enabled him to prevent the banter that you often get in this kind of film. And they have one scene in a convenience store that, you know, they've used heavily in the trailers. Don't let that mislead you into thinking that's the tone of the movie. Yeah. And here, though, it is really bleak when Professor X is rolling around in that yeah water tank. I thought it might be a gas refinery they were in. It looks like a big plant the smelting it's mentioned that it was a smelting company based in shanghai yeah in shanghai i've kind of thought about wolverine's his more japanese than chinese past but does wolverine have some sort of tie there or is he just squatting but when we're introduced to professor x rolling around quoting taco bell commercials get it with chicken get it with steak and we never see him like this again i mean we'll see a seizure pretty soon and that happens again but we never see him ranting like a madman i was wondering is he communicating to the past is he trying to get some link to the past like in days of future past to try to fix all this that he doesn't want to be a prisoner he doesn't want to be pharmaceutically castrated as he calls himself out to be It wouldn't be far off to claim that they've done to this series what Alien 3 did to that franchise. Everything that you know and loved has now, like, 
being destroyed in front of your eyes. To see Charles in this way is so painful. I mean, even when he got blown up in the wheelchair in Last Stand, I feel like that was less impacting than watching him alive here, trying to pick up messages with his mind, and yeah, mostly spouting, I guess, what, radio ads or whatever. Whatever he's picking up in the ether. He claims he can hear a mutant, but that just seems like crazy talk, because he's acting like the Statue of Liberty battle happened yesterday, and he just, he has no sense of himself in time. Sometimes he doesn't even know who Logan is. I think this is because of the drugs, why he's so crazy here, is he's taking the drugs. We're going to find out later on in the movie, Logan keeps giving him these pills, he's going to hide them in the torn limo seat. But here, this is him fully drugged, this is him fully castrated, and it's dulling his mind. It's stopping the seizures. Okay, so this is what he's like when they have the right amount of drugs, because they'll call out that they don't even have enough now at this point. Yeah, and and it's really sad because when X calls him out on it, he's like, you're just waiting for me to die. And this is something very topical as well, with the aging baby boomer generation being cared for now by our generation. Elder care is a huge thing. It's impacted my life. And so I see this as also being a really grounded scene. There's two drugs. There's blue pills, and then there's also something in a syringe that he has to stick in them when this whole psychic quake happens. We actually see that when X really becomes addled, his anxiety can, like, ripple through everything around him like an earthquake and we'll see that more dramatically again when we get to Oklahoma City but he has to plug him with a hypo in the heart yeah I thought it was always gonna have to be a heart injection I was thinking Pulp Fiction later he's (laughs) gonna get stabbed in the shoulder so I guess it could be anywhere that one was in the heart this movie is actually framed like a mystery so much of what this movie is going to reveal is what has happened Since the last time we saw Professor X and Logan at the end of Days of Future Past in this new timeline where Logan comes in and Professor X is behind the desk of his school, happy and alive. And now, what is this wasteland? Where have the mutants gone? We're going to find that out. What happened to Charles? We're going to find that out. And one of the big things that we're going to hear it on the radio is that a bit over a year ago, one of these psychic attacks happened in Westchester, which is where that school was based, and killed seven mutants, including members of the... And Logan turns off the radio, but it's not a far stretch to think, where did Cyclops, Jean Grey, Storm, all of them go? They were killed by Xavier, and Xavier doesn't even know. He's like, what did you do, Logan? He has no idea Mm. that Xavier's the one who did it. Xavier thinks he's a prisoner, and Logan's gone mad. Yeah. And this is the one thing, if you did read that old man Logan comic book, this is where they do get you. Because I'm waiting for the reveal where Wolverine killed the X-Men. That's what happens in that comic. He gets tricked by Mysterio to think that the X-Men are actually supervillains, and he kills them all. Spoiler alert, I guess. But here, no, they do flip that. So if you have that expectation, they are going to surprise you here. And it's going to be Xavier that actually killed, I'm guessing, the most prominent X-Men. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I can honestly say you guys, both the plot summary and what you guys are bringing up now are help illuminating things that feel nebulous. Is someone not completely tied into the comic book world. Yeah, there are things I have questions about that aren't brought up in the plot summary. We'll get there because I do feel like there are things that are not clear. And I think they do that on purpose. They give you enough here. I do wonder 
if they want enough room to wiggle out if they can. Like, I feel that that is kind of the cheat of doing this kind of, in the future, this is the last story. Because you could do anything. It's easy to get an emotional impact, because now you could kill people. You could have crazy Professor X. I, I wonder if they're vague because they want to be able to wiggle out, if Fox wants to wiggle out later, or if they just want to leave little hints here and there. It's never been a more perilous time for the X franchise, I feel like. Apocalypse was deemed a disappointment by me well i think a lot of people and financially it just didn't make what the other movies made and now that hugh jackman is not going to return as wolverine it really does beg the question what can they do next yeah they can go to the 90s and maybe the 2000s and explore those two decades but longevity looking at the real future What's it going to be for them? It's almost as dire as the vision in this <laughs> movie. So yeah, why not go to the end? I think they had the freedom to let this universe die and create a new one. That's, in fact, what Laura represents. Once we get back to that storyline, Logan is called to a Liberty Motel. Yeah, we think Charles is insane. He says, they're waiting for you at the Statue of Liberty. And Logan takes that as a reference to the very first X-Men film. Statue of Liberty was a long time ago. No, they're just at this beat-down Liberty Motel. Oh, it's that's why they linger on that sign so long at the hotel. I did not connect that. I, I got the Statue of Liberty reference from Xavier. I think there was a second reference, though. Liberty, once again, Mangold's hitting the theme of Mexican immigration hard here. That they are see at Liberty, they've crossed the border illegally. And here's what I'm looking at. Like, they only have certain letters lit up. I'm like, okay, live. What are they trying to tell me? Here's the thing. If you're a big comic book person... You might be disappointed. I don't think there's a whole lot of Easter eggs because I'm like, again, I'm looking at the neon signs and the way they're lit to see if they're leaving some comic book Easter egg. I think the only real Easter egg I found is when they show a samurai sword and that's that sword that Wolverine could actually like cut through himself with. They showed that for a second in his place in Mexico, but there's not a whole lot of sly references that you would get in most comic book movies just pointing out how this, again, is different than many of those. Yeah, they're not going to have in-jokes and humor. And I think Vox might be cool with that because maybe they don't want the rest of the franchises to be tied to this. As you state, this is kind of a one-off. Not having the pandering. It's everything we've always said, right? Usually I feel like we have a lot of criticism when a movie is overly commercialized and we have a lot of ties to products. And here we're being treated as adults. And I do wonder how that's going to play. I think the thing that why people can go with this dark vision, maybe it mirrors a dark world that we're living through right now, but it also is Hugh Jackman's goodbye. It, it feels like the proper tone if indeed Jackman is going to not return to this part again. And it doesn't look like he's going to last much longer. He's basically going to take this job to take Laura to North Dakota so that he can get the money to get on the boat yeah, they're going to give him 50000 to do this, which he needs to buy a boat. The person won't sell it for 45000 They want seventy-five. It is totally the Han Solo way of getting him involved, right? Han Solo didn't care about the rebellion, but we'll give you two now and 15 when we reach Alderaan. And we will find out that they don't even have all the money to pay him, that there's this real theme about illusion and, and what's promised in Canada, that Canada may not be everything that any of these characters are hoping to be. It may not be Wolverine's payout. It may not have an Eden to put Laura in safety. It's all just an illusion. And it's worth pointing out, that's Logan's home, right? He's from Canada. I can't remember when he was little James, if he was, was he in the Canadian province? I know that's where the Weapon X program happened. 
he is supposed to be from Canada, and they do talk about North Dakota. I honestly wondered this whole movie if they were going to be rescued by Alpha Flight. There were rumors of Puck being in an X-Men film, <laughs> and I could see them getting up there in their Sasquatch. Again, remember how the Wolverine ended. I'm just waiting for them to needlessly inject a whole bunch of special effects. They never do, thank God. Well, yeah, what I'm wondering is, what is this story meaning for Logan? We get what it means for this mission, that he's got this girl, and she needs to get to this place. But what will it do for him? And I'm thinking this is maybe his last ride and maybe it does bring him back. A wanderer finally comes home. Will that have something significant when he reaches Canada? So I think it's an intriguing mission, but one that gets aborted once Pierce whacks the nurse and the little girl goes stowaway in his trunk. This is, we're going to find out, his daughter. She's a little Wolverine. She's... Who didn't know that, though, right? Yeah, I, I was going to ask you, Stuart. I don't know how many of the trailers you watched. Like, I saw one, and it, and I went, that's his daughter. I mean, I, I don't feel like that's a mystery that they expect to hide. What I appreciate about it is that they don't belabor that mystery too long. Yeah, I was going to be really annoyed. I'm like, oh, they better not try to stretch out that she's got claws and who her father is. Thankfully, they don't. Like, they sh I know they showed in the trailer. A lot of people go into these, though, not knowing all this stuff. So I'm, I'm glad they don't protract it, though. Does Gabriella seek out Logan, though, because this is little Logan? I mean, even Laura, Logan, there's some similarities there in the name. Or if she'd ended up with Richter, would she still be looking for the Wolverine because that's who's in the comics? Would that be Victor's kid? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Victor! <laughs> Actually, not Victor's. Avalanche. Avalanche is an X-Men villain, and in one of the close-ups it showed... One of the DNA donors was Dominikos Petrakis, which is Avalanche's real name. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are told that when Wolverine goes to pick them up, that's when we find out Gabriel has been killed. And he, <laughs> I love that the first thing he, Logan does is he goes to get that other $30,000. It's not there. There's a phone there with the video that he starts watching. And he finds out, yeah, that there were other kids. We don't know if they're alive or not. This is the one that got out was Laura. Yeah. It, again, it feels like a myth that she's waiting for these classmates and she has this photo with her and yeah, she won't speak. So we, do, we can't know what she knows. We can only know yeah, what's on the phone and what it means for Pierce and the Reavers. They obviously think she's important enough that they brought a whole squadron and well, actually he first shows up on his own. It's kind of protracted the way that this takes, but he gets knocked out. Caliban goes to dump him in the desert. Why would you leave it up to Caliban to do dirty work like this? That, that, bad decision. Yeah. He can't be in the sun and you're going to send him out to the desert? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and Logan doesn't know Laura has stowed away in the limo either. He goes and Gabriella's dead. Laura is nowhere to be found. Yeah, except there's that ball that she's always playing with in the trunk. The trunk's opened when he gets out of the car. Backpack, yeah. I mean... If he's ever seen a movie before, he can see what's coming. <laughs> and Laura, because she doesn't talk, this is where Charles becomes vital. The one she talks to is Charles. He's been talking to her psychically from a distance, and now they're there together. 
Charles is her interpreter psychically, or maybe he just speaks Spanish and we don't <laughs> see it on screen, but he's the one who really is imploring Logan. He's the angel on Logan's shoulder, this whole movie being like, Logan, we must help Laura. Logan, we must help the horses. Logan is just like ready to drive <laughs> away from all of it. He's ready to leave Laura. He's ready to leave Caliban too. He gets Charles in the limo and is about to run. Yeah, those Reavers all pull up. And I do like how Xavier just kind of is like talking to Laura. Like you get it, that this is a psychic connection. But those Reavers pull up and yeah, Logan, he doesn't care about Laura. He, he's ready, no matter how many times, Times, Xavier is going to say, but she's your, he doesn't care. She's like you, very much <laughs> like you. And Logan goes down by the Reavers. You, you get a fight and you think it's going to be a repeat of, you know, they say he killed the Cholos. You think it's going to be a repeat of that. They put six guns on him and he stays down. It's Laura to the rescue. Yeah, I, I think that he is fine with these men taking this little girl away if it means that he can go back to his pitiful existence. Yeah, he's got his $20,000. He's closer to getting that boat. Yeah, he, he doesn't have the mentality to be a paternal figure and, and to think about children again. And is that because of the terrible thing that happened at the school? That's an interesting question. I, I didn't contemplate why he would. It was hard for me to know in the timeline where exactly we were because it has moved around so much. And specifically, the X-Men movies have been ones that have jumped all throughout the last 150 years. It was difficult for me to know what was the last chronological event. Just so you know, there is a pretty good YouTube video out there that walks through the franchise movie by movie and shows you Logan's evolution and his journey. Yeah, I rewatched the first two Wolverine movies, the first X-Men movie. I've seen Days of Future Past and First Class so often. I, I feel like I don't need that YouTube video for this timeline. I knew we were in the further future than we had been. And here, though, when the Reavers show up, I think we're going to actually get our big villain. If Pierce is just too slimy to be it, there's this one big guy with a mohawk. He kind of looks like Michael Rooker, but I knew I'd seen him someplace before. It's Christoph Sozienski. He is a real MMA fighter. He was a pretty big part of the movie Here Comes the Boom that I saw. You're the one. <laughs> it was only on video. I didn't see it in theaters. And I thought, here's our big villain. He looks tough. And Laura is going to roll his head to the <laughs> Reavers. He is not in this for long. Yeah, you got to appreciate the way that they treat this child. Again, because she's a child does not mean that she's going to be simplistic or some sidekick or diminished in any way. She, You love the way that she breaks out the claws and immediately these grown men with giant guns are like, uh-oh, backing away. No, <laughs> no. I mean, she does roll out a severed head. Yeah, and it, that scene's in the trailer where she comes out and she throws down. They had some special handcuffs and leg cuffs for her because she has foot claws as well as hand claws, two in the hand, one in each foot. And I didn't know what she was throwing down, and they show her rolling something, and in the trailer you can't make it out. Yeah, it's Mohawk's head. And <laughs> their reaction is what clearly tells me every one of their cybernetic limbs were because of her adamantium claws. But what I like about the casting here, they made Daphne Keene, this girl who plays Laura, I think they made her watch old X-Men and the Wolverine films because she does kind of that similar posture that Hugh Jackman does. Not only is she her daughter, they're, they're trying to draw those lines here, but I also like that 
they don't go for like the cutesy thing. They don't go kick-ass hit girl here. Like I feel like they casted a girl that looks very feral. Like Xavier is going to call her a lioness, that she is an animal. That's why she has those foot claws. That's for defense. I guess that's something that happens with lions and, and, and female lions. But they get a child that does look feral almost. Uh, that, that's the stringy hair, just the look she has throughout. They get someone that captures that animal that Wolverine also is. Mangold talked about being really afraid because they knew that this was a three-legged movie and they knew Jackman was going to be very solid as Wolverine. They knew Patrick Stewart was going to be great. He was so excited to do something different as Professor X. But to put so much of this movie on an 11-year-old girl, especially one that they wanted to be specifically Hispanic, they did a worldwide casting search. He described being very relieved when they found Daphne Keene, agreed completely. You mentioned Hit Girl. This is that kind of a breakout performance. She is astounding in this movie with her body language. She doesn't just have to deliver lines. I, again, mentioned Curly Sue. She has to have this whole body posture, action scene, scream, look, and then later on act. She is great in this movie. I applaud Daphne Keene and the casting director who found her. Yeah, and I feel like we always do complain when uh, movies capitulate to a child audience because we're not children anymore. But I think that if I was a child and watching her, it would be groundbreaking. I mean, I think even more so that... I don't, I don't want to call her an icon because I don't want kids to imitate her. But I do think that, yeah, this is going to be a performance that really resonates for young kids because she does not play it the way I've seen any child actor play superhero before. And she is as grounded in this movie as the rest. She's getting shot. She has the healing power. Whereas we've seen Logan just kind of stand there and flex bullets out of his muscles. I love the scene where she like has to suck a bullet out of her own arm. She sucks a bullet out. (laughs) Xavier's got like a bewildered look when he has to watch that. I want to also compliment the action here that it's been a while since the opening throw down with the six guys outside the car but boy when it comes it just grabs you and this is just an incredible scene the way that it's staged it feels like the most exciting x-men movie i've ever seen i don't know that i can go there but i did like it it had a horror feel with her like as jason when you see her action name a better action movie in the x-men universe days of future past i really did enjoy the scenes with the assassination of the French Prime Minister and... Oh, yeah. I mean, they're good. You're right. Those are good scenes. But I think these are better. These are more emotionally impacting. I'll grant you that. That's what I'm thinking is like, I'm not paying so much, which is weird because usually I am really paying attention to the action, but I am more feeling in this film more what is the emotional impact here and i feel like this has a pretty strong emotional impact out of all these x-men films like this one really gets you yeah and the fact again that it's an 11 year old girl logan eventually does come to the rescue at the very end he gets up and the two of them claw together the family that slays together i guess and they're gonna try to take off in his limo he's as bad a driver as he is a fighter now because they go for that fence and they're gonna do the big we're breaking (laughs) through the fence thing and the fence doesn't break i love that moment like i feel like a lot of this film not all of it but a lot of it they do want to subvert those action film those comic book 
cliches, tropes, just things you expect. So yeah, you're expecting this limo to just burst through this fence and the fact that it's just going to get stuck in it and then he's got to reverse and it's still like stuck to the undercarriage of the car and he's dragging it around. Yeah, Chrysler couldn't have been happy about that. They're like, no, make sure our car <laughs> does everything. But it does survive being hit by a train. Yeah, that is unbelievable. The way he's racing the train and you know he's going to make it because they need to escape. But that... One of the Reaver vehicles is in the middle. It is exciting. This is perhaps... I'd never expect a car chase in a Wolverine film, I guess. I've never seen Wolverine run from a fight. And so the fact that he's in this limo getting shot up and smashed up with all these paramilitary SUVs and he gets on the other side of that train and Pierce is just there. There's nothing he can do. Logan gets to drive away and that's where Pierce is going to come back and... Caliban is not dead. Pierce kind of implied Caliban was dead, which is why I think Logan... I don't even think Logan would have spared a thought for Caliban no. if he knew he was alive, but he thinks he's dead anyway. Yeah, it's helpful, maybe just for the audience, that we don't judge Logan too harshly, but yes, he doesn't need to know that he's being tracked, and they wouldn't want that revealed because Caliban has that ability, no matter where they go, and the fact that he's going to switch out the Chrysler for some pickup and all the tricks put on new clothes doesn't matter. Caliban can find them, and so they're always going to be on the run throughout all of Act 2. I got a dramatic question for you guys. Now, Logan, Wolverine, has never been one of my favorite characters. I've always found him kind of one-dimensional. Maybe great for some fight scenes, but what does he stand for? What does he mean? Why does he not want to embrace fatherhood at this point? Why is he so resistant to mentor a new mutant after so much time, after extinction looked like certainty for the mutant race? He is still not wanting to be close to her. I think this is a theme that I had trouble with just connecting with. I, I think it could have been better developed in this film because I was kind of wondering the same thing. Like, you get this scene. It's kind of a funny scene in this convenience store where Laura's just walking around, grabbing food, eating whatever she wants, and she about to claw that clerk, and Wolverine walks in, not okay, stops her from stabbing him in the face. And I get the feeling that this is supposed to be about Logan reconciling his past that he was the berserker that he had the rage again he's gonna fight that younger self and have to literally defeat that rage he used to have but i don't feel it's fully developed in this film like i, I feel they give it a lot of lip service and they try to do it but it doesn't fully flush out for me why wolverine is changing at this point why why does he feel regret is he gonna try to mentor laura to not be like him even though she's his child we know he must, because why else would they have a child paired with him except for him to eventually come to that conclusion? My question is, why would it take him so long? You're hitting one of my big problems with this movie, and it got me really thinking, is Hugh Jackman just not a good actor? And I got thinking about every movie I've seen of his, and it's primarily X-Men films. And I don't think he has the acting chops to sell this. There are several scenes here where he's going to give monologues. And there's the one dialogue he has with Charles, where Charles is like, does this mean nothing to you that we have found a new mutant? And Wolverine's like, nope. 
And I'm left wondering why as well. I think an actor who could give more performance with his face, or maybe it's just how Wolverine is played by Jackman and Jackman feels he can't give that kind of emotional performance, but I'm left cold by a lot of Logan's speeches, talks, and motivations here. I did not think we would be criticizing. I knew we would nitpick something, but really Jackman's performance? This has got to be a career best. Yes, which is exactly why I'm saying perhaps overall he's not that great. Wow. And and here's the thing. I don't want to damn this movie and act like I don't like it. But the thing is, there are scenes that he gives that I think another actor would have moved me. And I am left pretty emotionally cold by Logan this whole film. I never feel for him. You know what? I I can't agree with with Jackman's acting I, I think he does good my, my problem is more with the writing i just i don't know if they developed it enough here i don't know that this character has a whole lot of dimension people tell me they love wolverine and i think it's because he's got cool claws and can really kick ass but what he's about and what he stands for it's always been a problem for me but this is the movie where you fix that problem like and i feel like they're they're trying to but like this is your last chance literally he's gonna die like this is your last chance to fix that problem so fix it write him better like again i don't think they're so beholden to continuity that they have to keep wolverine a one-dimensional character here's what i take here's the only thing that it could come up from is that he had accepted his own annihilation that he had been beaten down so much by the state of the world that he wasn't willing to hope again because hoping is painful if it doesn't go the way he doesn't want to believe in the myth He doesn't want to believe in those comic books. He knows they're not true, and he knows reality is much more complicated than what he's seeing around there. So for him, I feel like this journey might be about accepting the potential, even though it's never confirmed, the potential of an Eden, the potential of a comic book future for a dire, dying world. But he never does. He capitulates out of lack of anything better to do, but I don't think he ever has hope. I think he's the same Wolverine at the end of this film that he is at the beginning. He starts this film old and wanting to die. He ends this film dying. He eventually is a protector. He's not a... He always is. He is still always a good character. He does turn away from Gabriella, but he is never one to do a wrong thing. He'll never hurt an innocent to help himself. Here's what sums up, I guess, the problem for the writing for me is Wolverine's healing factor. It's not working. I don't know why. Is it old age? Arnie, you said it could be because of corn syrup, I think. Well, there's two different things, and they're both dropped lines. The first is they keep saying, you know, Caliban has a speech about pus around his knuckles and he's not healing. He's going to see a doctor who says there's something poisoning you. Wolverine is going to say when he violently meets Xander Rice, it's this adamantium poisoning me. And that's something from the comics is that his healing factor is preventing his adamantium from poisoning him. But in this, it seems like after, I guess he got to put in him in 1980. So after about 60 years, he just can't take it anymore and it's breaking him down. Okay, I, I took that as metaphorically, like this adamantium that made me the berserker has poisoned me and turned no, me into no, this person no. I don't like. I did not take that literally because he says there's something in him and later on he's going to see a doctor and the doctor's like, I know people that could get this fixed for you. In the comic books, there is a substance that if he's like injected with it, I can't remember the name of it, but it does slow his 
healing factor so you could eventually kill him. And I was wondering, like, is there going to be, when he says there's something in him, like, is he going to have some substance like that that he has chosen to keep in him because he wants to die? I don't know. I, I just feel like the fact that they never really tell us what's going on with his healing factor, except it's something in him. It, the, the way it played to me was Padme literally dying of a broken heart. Like, he just, <laughs> I just want to die so my healing factor is going to stop. No, I think in lack of a better explained thing, the fact that he says this adamantium you put in me that's killing me, we're taking that as the literal thing, which means they put adamantium in Laura too, so she may have a problem in about 60 years, but... Well, no one lives forever. I mean, that's... 60 years is a pretty good run. Tell me that in 15, Stuart. (laughs) (laughs) And the doctor says... You need to find out what it is. Logan acts like he knows what it is. The other thing is just this dropped line when he confronts Xander, where Xander talks about the gene therapy that they've done in the food and drink. Again, it's answering these mysteries of why are there none. It's handled in a bit of a clumsy offhand way where I think Mangold just doesn't care about these details, but he's going to put them in. Yeah, no, that's how I take it. Because at the end, Rice is going to say something about how he got rid of the mutants. Again, because that poster reminded me of Schindler's List, I was waiting for like a Holocaust reference of mutants. Did you guys notice, I was looking for product placement, because I do know this is an X-Men movie, and there's the Taco Bell thing, Laura eats cornflakes and Pringles, but she drinks this hypno-energy drink, and there's hypno-energy drink everywhere, and I looked it up, there is a hypno-energy drink, but it doesn't seem like it's really gotten off the ground, like it's a startup, so I think this fake hypno-energy drink is the product of the Transigen Corporation that is doing this gene therapy. Later on, there's a really weird scene where Eric LaSalle is complaining about high fructose corn syrup, and I think it's all tying into junk food is killing the mutants. Yeah, well, if you wanted to kill young generations, I do think poisoning Monster and Red Bull is probably the quickest way to do it. That is, yeah, it does seem to be like the thing that I've noticed about younger generations in me is like they love that stuff. I can't. Ooh, I can't stand energy drinks. How do you think I record on weeknights, Stuart? <laughs> wow, you drink that too? Ugh, couldn't do it. Yeah. So here's my question. We get to Harris Casino in Oklahoma City, and Logan goes out to buy a truck, and Xavier has a psychic quake. Is it now requisite ever since Quicksilver that we have to have like something equivalent to a slow motion scene? Because <laughs> we see like everyone's frozen. Logan's able to move through this psychic earthquake because he's Logan. He's got healing, some kind of healing factor left. But everyone else is kind of frozen in place. Though I do love, like, you know, Logan's walking up. He sees all the transgen bounty hunters there. He's about to stab one guy. And I do love the guy. Even though he's frozen, you do see his eyes turn and look at him. Yeah, I liked this scene as just a different type of scene. And to see Charles have another one of these psychic attacks. I mean, keep in mind, Charles Xavier was the most powerful mutant of all. Possibly second to Magneto once he got that helmet. But to see him not use his powers in this movie, and when he does, there's only one intentional use. It's always this unintentional, and I get the impression that if Logan didn't get that needle in him, everybody would have died. 400 people would be killed. Yeah, I didn't realize, because when we first saw the psychic quake, there's only mutants being affected. So I assumed, oh, this could only kill mutants. But because it's at a casino, we see everyone on the casino floor, these bounty hunters, everyone is being affected by this. Yeah, it it separates the mutants from the humans, though, because humans are slower. They're not completely frozen. Like you say, Jacob, they are responding to what's going on, but only in 
milliseconds what logan is able to do this is the evil version of what we've seen xavier do before we've seen him freeze people in time i think that was an x2 or the last stand mm, yeah we've seen him do this but this is when it goes awry and he's not really controlling this it comes out of his anxiety is the way that i take it is that this is coincidental to transigent showing up yeah, well no no it's not coincidence they've got guns literally on him they're about to blow him away in fact i thought this was his death scene i thought we would find that jackman would get the last guy and it would be too late because the bullet was going into charles's head i thought the same thing i in fact this was in the trailer there was a shot of xavier by the window everything shaking and we see Logan bury a grave. So I figured Xavier was going to die coming into this film, and I thought this was going to be the way he died. Yeah, even Harris wouldn't take those odds. I mean, it's it's <laughs> obvious that someone will die in this movie. I wasn't sure if they'd do it for Jackman. Thought it was a possibility, given his physical condition and the fact that he has a daughter to, to carry on, but they didn't kill Shane at the end of Shane, and they're referencing that. So I think that, yeah, Charles will be the sacrifice. And I also wondered if Logan didn't have adamantium poisoning. At one point, he's looking through, like, the files on Laura, and they say something about cancer research. And I wondered if Logan had cancer and Laura's blood could give him an infusion and save him at the end, something like that. Yeah, I was wondering if they are going Deadpool with him with the cancer. Yeah, so I wasn't sure about that. I figured Xavier was dead, but Logan calls Charles out. This was not a defensive thing so much as the stress caused him to have a seizure, and the seizure would have killed everybody. And just because Laura helps Logan inject him is this. And yes, they are, before this attack, Charles and Laura watch Shane together. Very clumsy insertion. If you want to know the big reference for this movie, they talk about Shane in the interviews. And they insert the end of Shane here. And they're going to quote it again later. I guess watching the very end of the movie had a big impact on Laura. I haven't seen Shane. Uh, the ending of this, I guess, they're going to literally quote it, but the what happens at the end reminds me more of High Noon than, I don't know, whatever Shane is about. Yeah, I watched Shane just to prep for this. Uh, it's it's just an illusion. I wouldn't draw too many parallels. It, it involves a young person who becomes enamored with an old gunslinger who becomes a mentor to them but walks away. And they watch that movie while Logan goes out to get the new truck, goes to the bar, reads the X-Men comics... And in original drafts of the script, he was going to seek help from Victor! <laughs> Liev Schreiber was going to be in these scenes. He was approached, Jackman talked to him, and he was going to join the party. It was going to be a family reunion, I guess, him and his niece. Uh, you know, I'm not opposed to it, but I think Liev Schreiber is a good actor. I just think that that was a very terrible movie and that he wasn't maybe the right choice for that part it's funny because i kept waiting for a magneto cameo <laughs> not a saber tooth one yeah they, they were gonna put it here they decided that it was just too much to explain why victor would be helping him after all these years and to try to give victor a redemption story arc in addition to everything else but that was the intent we were gonna see Logan reunited with his brother, but no, we get Richter, not Victor. That would be very weird to explain once they got to the farm. You, you mentioned Eric LaSalle already, and there is a whole chapter on this road trip. Are they heading to North Dakota, or are they just on the run? 
I'm not entirely clear, but they take a detour once horses spill out on the highway. It was confusing at first because it's like the semi like honks its horn and is about to run him off the road. I'm like, what a bunch of jerks. But you do find out that these are driverless semis going along the road. And I guess you just got to get out of their way. They don't stop. They don't break. I was like, why would a driverless semi run them off the road? And I think what's going on here, the horses got loose. Eric LaSalle's, his family is the Munsons. And if you've seen the movie Kingpin, they do totally get Munsoned. But their horses are out on the road, so the driverless semis are avoiding the horses, and that's why Logan gets run off the road. Oh, I thought that Logan swerving around ran them off the road, and that's when the horses got loose. It's very confusing. It is. Well, yeah, it happens very quickly. I'd need to see the scene again to be sure. I thought that maybe Laura had done something to knock the horses free, that she was identifying with them. She was definitely looking at them and maybe identifying with them being in cages. We saw from the cell phone video that her life back in Mexico was very similar, that she was basically like a lab animal and just lived a, a life of no sunlight in a cage. I thought she would try to save those horses. Yeah, those lab scenes are actually the thing that impacted me most of the blood and gore when you see, like, what they did is they took DNA and impregnated Mexican women. So this isn't a clone of Logan. This is his daughter made off of cloned semen, I guess. And the bloody gurneys and all of that that the mothers were killed on... There's some harsh stuff going on in that lab, and they show a telekinetic kid being trained to fight against Tai Bo dummies, and the kids aren't having it. He tries to kill himself, throws himself off a roof to not be a soldier for transigen. And she's a cutter, yeah. I mean, it's brutal stuff, but my point is, I think it's a trigger to see horses in cages for her was a flashback to that uncomfortable memory. I thought she had done something, but made them swerve into them, and then the horses got free, and then further chaos. But I do feel like there are like too many steps sometimes to get them to where they want to, you know. Yes, and this is the one too many. Yes, I completely agree. The Munsons could have been cut out of this film, and it wouldn't have hurt this film much at all. But here's the thing. I like what they do for emotional exploration and impact with Xavier and Logan because they have to stop at the Munsons. It's the dumbest thing to do in the world, though. Like, you got transigen after you. Why would you stop to have dinner? And where are they going? Because I didn't think that Logan believed in North Dakota and wanted to go there. I felt like he was still just going to head there and, and drop her off and leave. Charles was the driving factor. Laura believes in it. Because of Charles's insistence, they were still going to North Dakota. There's the scene in the trailer Xavier says, we have to help her. And Logan says, someone will come along. And Charles says, someone did come along. And the way the trailer makes it seem is it's this whole conversation about Charles imploring Wolverine to save Laura. No, this conversation's about the horses. (laughs) This is the scene where Charles is going to convince Logan to pull off on the road to help get the horses off the road. And Charles is going to one time use his psychic power successfully to get the horses across the street. Yeah, thank, thank goodness he didn't make their like heads explode or something with another psychic quake. But I like again, I like what the emotional impact because I do feel like this is the comic book movie to say, "Hey guys, can we can we grow up a little? 
Comic-Con, that's fun and everything, but what about family life? Like, how about getting out of these power fantasies and, and understanding how great a family could be? And he's going to tell Logan, like, isn't it great just to be in a home and to be able to sleep and not be worried about having to save the world? Like, there is that message here, which kind of makes it an anti-superhero movie. Like, they want to say, hey, maybe there is a better life than just running around in spandex. And Logan specifically has been a character who's been rootless, who, as long as I can think of in the X-Men franchise, has refused to call a place a home. He le- he kept leaving that school. He would never settle roots. He might have settled down with Jean Grey, but of course, that destiny was taken from him. At the end of the day, it's something he's fought all his life. He's a wanderer. He's a nomad. And so this is what he's supposed to learn before he dies, to go home to Canada. Just because I say the Munsons could be cut out of this film doesn't mean I don't like the emotional beats here. This is some of the best character development moments is when they're posing as the Howlets, grandfather, father, and daughter, and they do have this dinner. They joke about how bad a student Logan was and the fact that they have this quiet moment. You have to have this. I knew the scene was coming sometime before you kill Charles, you have to have the real happy bonding scene. Charles is going to say this is the best night he's had in a very long time. And I like that they do just have this quiet moment together. It didn't have to be with this family, though, that's having problems with their landlord trying to get them off the land. They're the last farmers in Oklahoma, I guess, and their water pump is getting sabotaged. and It's weird. Like It, it doesn't feel like the right step to just stop in the middle of being chased here. But no. I, I agree. I like the emotional beats here. And that's what I'm saying is that I feel like the way that they got Caliban captured and working for the bad guys, the way that they contrived these moments, sometimes this movie's long and it feels like it takes extra time to get us to where we want to be. I think we're all saying the same thing. We like these moments, but getting there feels artificial. That It's contrived. And I thought this would have a bigger impact. When they were sitting at this farm having dinner with these people, first I thought, okay, Wolverine's at another farm like he was in Origins, but then all of a sudden it hit me. Firestarter. I thought for sure that at the end of this movie now, Logan would die and Laura would come to live with the Munsons on the farm. (laughs) And that's what this was all setting up is this bonding scene where they'd know the daughter, much like how David Keith and Drew Barrymore stopped at the old person's farm in Firestarter and Drew Barrymore goes there at the end. No, they're going to kill the Munsons. It's basically, this is what that scene in X-Men Origins Wolverine could have been done if there was any dramatic weight. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely feel like they were redoing that scene from Origins. I expected that. As soon as I saw the wife had a cross around her neck, I'm like, yeah, we know what's <laughs> going to happen here. Yes, they were a very religious family. We know they're dying. The son's giving away his future iPod or whatever that was. We know they're all dead. Yeah, the Reavers obviously are going to catch up with them if they have Caliban, and so it's going to be ugly. I just wasn't expecting the Monsanto gang. That was like a step <laughs> that felt extra and weird that we, we have to have this diversion of going to the water pump so that a fake... Hugh Jackman can come into the room. It did fool me. I'll give you that. Yeah, no, it did fool me. I knew X-24. They dropped a line that the X-23 program failed, but the X-24, like, they figured it out with that. So I'm like, okay, whoever X-24 is, 
that's going to be the big bad in this film. I didn't realize it was going to be young Hugh Jackman, like old berserker Wolverine. And so, yeah, you get this moment that I like where Xavier's just talking about how great it is to just be in a home and a bed. And it's the first time that Xavier realizes what he's done. This entire movie, he has been under the impression that Logan did something to the X-Men. But in this house, when he had a good night... He had a moment of clarity and has finally remembered what he never knew he did to the X-Men a year ago, the unspeakable things. This is his coming to terms with it for the very first time ever. I like that moment. He's actually asking for absolution because he's on his deathbed. He doesn't realize it, but he gets stuck. As soon as he comes to that epiphany, it's like, okay, and now you can go. And I, I actually thought it was him using his psychic powers to get Wolverine to kill him. Like, he feels bad for it. He wants to die. But no, that is not the case. And I think it's true for Logan, too. I think Logan, it's, it's said that he has an adamantium bullet that he's thinking about putting in his own head. And I did think it was Logan standing there while Xavier was talking. And the speech, I'm like, oh boy, let's get out the shovel because you are about to die, Xavier. <laughs> I could tell this speech was near his deathbed. But when it stabs him, I immediately know, oh, it's been X-24. I don't even need to see that it has Hugh Jackman's face. That is Hugh Jackman. They did de-age him, but I thought it might be a different body. He looked more like Liev Schreiber to me. Yeah, no, I thought it was Schreiber at first. They gave him that same facial hair that he had uh -huh. as with those sideburns. But no, it, it is younger Logan because he's been genetically, I guess, growing in a lab. What I find interesting is when Wolverine faces 24, and 24 has Laura, Wolverine doesn't care about Laura still. He cares about Charles. He knows Charles was upstairs, and he sees Mrs. Munson is dead, and he goes running up to save Charles and forget about Laura. Yeah, they want to send that message again and again that Logan has not embraced fatherhood in the future and the potential that Laura offers, that he just... He doesn't want it. Again, I think there's a suicide uh, wish there. There's, It's too painful to want something that may not come true. And so, you know, she's dead meat and there's going to be no mutants and all that matters is the past. And watching his transformation into thinking about the future is, I guess, the arc of a character who's not easy to define an arc for. He's at his best when he's fighting, and we get another fight scene here. The Monsanto gang, as I keep calling them, the evil farmers, <laughs> uh, show up as well so we can have some more bodies. But Logan doesn't take him out. What's weird is that they start dissing 24, I guess we're calling him, X-24, young Logan here. And you get... This Dr. Xander Rice, who created these mutants, he's like, oh, oh no, this is bad. This is bad. Don't do that. Don't. I don't get this character. I guess they don't have a total leash on 24 like they would want. He's better than the 23 program, but still not totally controllable because he starts taking out this whole gang. Yeah, it's mentioned that the next level it has no soul, that they're all artificial, that there's a difference between being born naturally. I mean, even the 23 program, they might have gotten their fathers out of a test tube, but they had natural mothers. I'm getting the impression that these guys are all test tube, like they were literally grown in a Petri dish. And is there more than one? I mean, I don't know if we only see one X-24 in this film. And they're going to heal them, so it's not mm -hmm. like they just got tons of clones ready to go. But we get the Wolverine on Wolverine fight, and this is very well done. This is good action. 
this is probably Logan at his best here where he's really given the punches and we see him. I love when he does like the rapid body blows that would be like a boxer's move, but he's got the claws and he's going against 24, but it is not enough. He needs to be rescued by someone we thought was dead. <laughs> Eric LaSalle's Munson has to drive a truck and impale 24 on some farm equipment. And I figure 24's got a healing factor, so I don't think he's dead, but it's enough for them to get away. Yeah, what I thought was touching about that moment, Eric LaSalle, you think it's like, oh, he did that to save the good buddy that, you know, that he repaid him with a meal and a place to live, but no, I blame all of you freaks for the death of my family, and he tries to get a shotgun blast to Logan as well. He would have killed him if he could have. Yeah, he pulls the trigger, but there's nothing left in the gun. Yeah, and Logan probably could have taken the bullet, but... Yeah, and it's not about that. It's more about the sentiment of a man who saw him as a ally till he identified him as a mutant. And Charles is dying in the back of Logan's truck, and he does get Laura, and the three of them escape, and they have to go bury him. And this is the moment. This is the moment where I feel like a different actor could have really made me cry when he's trying to choke out the words, at least there's water here. He buried Charles near some water since they couldn't do their son Seeker. Oh, okay. So that was a reference to, Char was it Charles who really wanted to live on the ocean? He, he's got a thing for water? I was wondering what that line meant. His last words were about the Sun Seeker. When he was in the flatbed of the truck holding his wounds, Charles talks about the Sun Seeker. But man, I just didn't feel anything in this moment. I felt more sad when Charles died in X-Men 3 The Last Stand than when no. he died here. No, I seriously did. I'm not saying that X-Men 3 is a better movie. Do not take that. I'm just saying I felt more for his death. Now, I know you're not saying that, but don't tell me that they gave that a moment either. He was vaporized in dust, and then they cut to more dust. I mean, that movie did not ever delay for an emotional moment. I don't feel like this burial scene had an emotional impact. When Xavier gave his final monologue before he was stabbed, that was emotionally impactful. I mean, this, though, I, I don't get anything. Uh, again, I was confused. Like, at least you're by water. I just, I didn't get what that meant. Patrick Stewart gave me the feels, but when I see... Hugh Jackman choking up, it, I, I just wish I felt more. I think I wish that this movie had me deeply emotionally invested instead of just really impressed by its emotionality. When something is this unrepentantly bleak, there aren't cry moments. The whole thing, I mean, you're just submerged in it at this point. I, it didn't occur to me that we were supposed to be crying for Charles's death. It seemed like a foregone conclusion. It, it's not even crying I, I mean i'm thinking of westerns and performances where yeah they even give a bleak eulogy I, ju I just get no emotional impact off of this funeral scene but the problem for me is that i feel like the movie's running a little long and we still got a ways to go before we get them to the kids yeah what's so weird is back at that farm with the munsons Caliban's gonna blow himself up with some grenades to try to stop the Reavers. He doesn't even kill anybody important. I thought at least he'd take out Pierce. Pierce gets thrown out the door. Caliban's death was completely meaningless, except we need to write him out of the script now. No, but they don't write him out. Then there's another scene where we see Rice saying, oh yeah, harvest his DNA. He's got some useful things. Like, I'm like, what? are they doing a Caliban sequel where there's X-25, the evil Caliban? Like, why even have scenes like this in here? 
Well, because I think that's corporate mentality of like we can just you, you are used to us as to what you could genetically can be that he that he was just a tool and that there was no compassion. But the man leading this has no love for mutants. We're gonna find all about that. But I I know that, and it, it, it's weird to pause for little moments like that that don't really build anything. Well, and then there's the other possibility that they can always have Jackman and anyone they want come back because there's genetic material lying around. Exactly. It was a weird scene, though, to see Rice getting kind of dressed down for the war zone he left at the Munson farm. And it just takes us back to the lab. And it's the scene where the transigen people think they've lost. Caliban is dead, so they can no longer track where Logan has gone. Logan and Laura are on the run. They don't know what to do. And... It's Pierce laying in bed doing his own hand repair and he has the photo of all the kids from Transigen and he flips it over on the back and there's the coordinates of Eden. So through this complete happenstance, really not great writing. The Yeah, couldn't they just find the envelope with money in it? That would have been much cleaner. There's three writers on here and they're, you know, three probably good writers, but I sense some struggles in getting this story told that the way that Mangold wanted to tell it, they went through a lot of drafts. That's the way it feels like for me. Yeah, and this is some kind of leftover bit. There's a lot of fix-its that are used. Which is not to say that I'm not appreciating what they're doing, but I think what they're doing is mostly about tone, creating the mood. As far as the story goes, it does feel a little bit aimless, and I have wanted them to get to this climax about 15 minutes quicker. And they do seem to get to North Dakota really quick. I mean, they're going to take a pause for Logan to pass out because he gets really mad at the car when the battery won't start and they go to the doctor. But now there's no time for dealing with these kids. You know, now we finally find out that all the kids she's been saying the names of, well, she started to talk. It's worth pointing that out. That's something that's changed. Yeah. After he comes out of the doctor, he says, thank you for taking me to the doctor and de nada. And she doesn't speak much English, as I've said, but this is where she starts talking a mile a minute. When Eric LaSalle had one moment where he's like, you might be thankful she's mute because what the stuff that starts coming out of their mouth when they do start talking. And I feel that was referenced here because once she starts talking, one of the first things Logan says is shut up. <laughs> well, you know, and again, he doesn't want the responsibility, the onus of, of what she represents. But we need some moments with him and the kids, right? We needed to have this fort in North Dakota where they find themselves have more going on than a overnight nightmare speech, right? I mean, I like that overnight nightmare speech that I really did like is that he has nightmares where he hurt, hurts people and she has nightmares where she's hurt. And I thought the direction, because I like these moments here, I thought the direction this film was going in was Logan was going to finally learn what it's like to be a dad. He doesn't want his daughter to have that rage. She obviously has it. She grew up abused by scientists. But to provide a better life where she didn't have to give in to that violence. And I, I was almost wondering, are we going to get a climax where these ex-kids at the end, they're not going to use their powers. That That is their life is they could go and they don't have to be X-Men. Because I feel like that's what this movie is building up to. You don't have to be X-Men. Just be people and live your life. And you don't have to go and use your powers to fight evil, weird scientists. 
that could be a theme. That wasn't what I thought they were building to. I mean, I saw that basically he was now the head of the school and that that was something that he'd always run from. Again, he never would stay put in that Xavier school. Which we've seen, though. I mean, X2, he was left in charge. Last, I mean, that is something they always go back to is he doesn't want to, but he always has to end up leading the group. He was at the end of X3. He was running the school. Yeah, well, with Halle. I mean, the Oscar-winning Halle Berry was really running that show. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like that's what they decided the climax is, is that he can get these kids to where they think they need to be, and that will probably be... I think I realized at this point, when he takes the OD of Serum and sees the Reavers closing in on the kids during their eight-mile hike... I think I know that he's not going to make it to Eden. Yeah, he did give the kids the money. I mean, this is his redemptive moment. He has another speech with Laura before the Reavers show up. And he's like, everybody I care about has bad things happen to them. And Laura's like, then I'll be fine. And again, that's a scene I wish I got more out of. But it makes me think they never want to make Logan a bad guy. Even as much as he abandons Laura, when the time comes, he gives them the money. He's going to... Well, do you want him to be a bad guy? I mean, let's qualify here. I don't think any of us want him to be a bad guy. I want to see a transformation occur where he becomes a better guy. And I don't know that I really get that. At this point, though, he should be the better guy. You're you're in the third act. Like this should be the point where he realizes he's got to be the good dad. And I, I guess he kind of does. I that was never a mystery for me, though. I always knew he was gonna run and save their lives as soon as we saw drones showing up and spying on this Eden camp. Yeah, I like the drone shot for some reason. That was just unexpected for me. Yeah, it's a good climax. I think it's fun to watch the kids use their powers. I and mean, we see Little Storm doing some things with pine needles. I just wondered why they took so long to use their powers. Like, they're running for a long time, and it's not until, like, the Reavers are on them that they start to do them. I I do love, like, you have Ice Girl, I guess I'll call her. I don't think any of these are based on actual X-Men. They all have very bland names when I was watching the credits. Richter is real. He's an actual important X-Man. He's been in the X-Factor comics quite a bit, and... At this point, I think he's most famous for being bisexual, and he got the first same-sex kiss in a Marvel comics. Okay, that might be the one. I noticed one in the credits was called The Bumpy Boy. He kind of looks like a reptile. Does Richter, does he have magnet powers, or can he just lift stuff? He lifts a truck at one point. I was wondering, is this the new Magneto? His powers are pretty much, I mean, his name's Richter. He creates earthquakes, seismic powers. Here, I think that... He just seems like a general telekinetic. I think I saw him lifting other stuff. I don't know if he was the one lifting the Tybo dummies in the lab, but I just took him as general telekinetic. Okay. But I do love when Ice Girl, like, breathes on that Reaver's arm and smashes it. Yeah, Laura's not the only one who took some limbs from the Reavers. I take it that these are all genetic materials of all, like, Storm and Iceman and... They could be all better versions of what we've seen before. And they could potentially be where this franchise goes these could be the characters in the sequel i suppose they are making a new mutants film with a bunch of kids so knows but this is also where logan finally gets his standoff against rice and we find out rice's father is one of the scientists who gave him the adamantium i guess that's true from the comics yeah i was waiting for the striker reference it's always been about striker is he not striker no no That shocked me too. And according to IMDb trivia, Rice is one of the people 
Wolverine kills in his rage in Apocalypse. I did not go back and rewatch that movie. I don't like that movie. I did check the IMDb credits. Nobody is credited as Dr. Rice in that film, but apparently in that scene is when he supposedly killed this guy's father. Oh, I, for some reason, I just assumed it was Stryker's kid, but... That's what I would have thought. I, I It's always been about Stryker, but now it's all... Ch- That's why I don't like this Rice character, because they've always set up Stryker. Even in the X-Men proper films, that was the bad guy that antagonized Logan. But Logan takes him out with a gun. I didn't see Logan ever use a pistol before. <laughs> that was something different. Yeah, I don't even notice Rice going down. I was really focused on X-24. And when you get this X-24 versus Logan versus X-23 or Laura fight, I I guess she's Laura here. X-23 is more from the comics. They're all X-23 kids, but she's X-23-23. Yeah, (laughs) 23.23. Which, look, I'm glad with the changes they made. I, I do feel like that comic book character... And I know it came out in an animated feature first, but like that was like the reaction to, oh, fanboys love Wolverine like hardcore. So let's make a prostitute teenage version of him that they could like literally have sex with. They just put tits on every hero, right? Spider-Woman, she <laughs> They do at this point, yeah. But no, here they go with the kid. And I, but I love when like Laura, she is full on feral here. And like just the, those quick constant jabs that she's giving to 24 while Logan is trying to recover. Yeah, I think it's a satisfying battle, and I like the fact that it comes back to that bullet that Wolverine was going to put in his own head. Chekhov's adamantium bullet. You like that? I I hated... I can't believe they brought that back from Origins. That was one of the dumbest things. Like, how does adamantium pierce adamantium? It didn't even go into his head in that film. It just erased his memory. Here, when Laura loads that bullet and pulls the trigger... Look, it's a great shot. Like, it blows off half of X-24's head. It's just... That's not how it was ever set up. It feels definitive. Yeah. Oh, it's definitive, all right. I'm glad. No one feels he's going to regenerate from that. I'm not entirely sure because, I mean, they've hedged their butts in previous movies. I can tell Mangold is telling us this is the end. However, if you look at the continuity of the previous films, Logan got shot with an adamantium bullet. He stood up, walked it off, and just had a little bit of amnesia, so... I am wondering about X-24's healing factor, though. Like, when he gets ran over by that car and impaled on the tractor, they do have to give him that injection of green stuff that Logan takes later, too, to really kick up his healing factor. It doesn't seem to be the same as what Wolverine had in his prime. Well, yeah, I think that's what we're what, what was desired, where these scientists want to be able to control the powers, that self-regenerating would be a threat, but one that they could regenerate through their own, they could make the choice with a syringe, I think is, is what they were hoping for. So I suppose you're right. Yes, someone could pop in in a helicopter with a syringe and bring X-24 back if they want, and thus bring Hugh Jackman back if they want. But I don't think Hugh Jackman is coming back as Logan, because this is the goodbye. The hand holding, the grave, turning the cross into an X. I loved, I did love that moment. <laughs> like that, you, you're going to sit there and quote Shane for his eulogy, whatever, but turning that cross to an X was awesome. I did like that bit. And the whole death, it's like, okay, it's time for me to die. He's been tired and exhausted. He used all the green juice and he's been slowly 
fighting worse and worse. And so now it's just time to die. And again, this is a scene where I felt like I should feel something. And his last words, oh, this is what it feels like. He's dead. It's, it's It was like, okay, well, I wasn't sure if they were going to kill him or not this whole movie. They did. And I'm like, this was very workmanlike. Well, here, here's my problem is, again... This climax is the same climax of every X-Men film. Like, they could have done something different here. They could have had these kids be pacifists and Logan, like, he is the Christ figure that must shed blood. Other people's blood, not his own. Oh, I guess his own, too. But to save these kids so they don't have to live this life of violence. But it's, no, he's going to get a limb put through his heart and die. When he takes out the Reavers, it did not seem original to me. It, it actually reminded me of that Woods fight in X-Men The Last Stand, only here... He's cutting off human limbs instead of that one guy who can regenerate his limbs. It was... Yeah, but guess what? We're never going to see anything original ever again because we've seen everything the superhero genre can do. I feel like the tone is different. Yeah, this movie, but as pushed against it. Again, I like that stuff at the Munsons where, hey, maybe home life isn't so bad. The fact that at the end you have this children of the damned moment where all these kids are circled around Pierce using their powers and <laughs> glowy eye. I just feel like, oh, maybe these are just going to go and be Magneto's new minions at this point. Like, what is the lesson learned? I think that it was cool that they stood up for themselves. I don't know that killing Pierce is exactly the comeuppance they deserve. I'm, I, again, I think Caliban should have killed Pierce. These kids should have killed Rice and Logan and X-24 and X-23 have the standoff they have. But I also don't think quoting Shane, a movie she's seen, what, the last 15 minutes Barely of? Barely speaks English, but she memorized that English monologue. <laughs> Wow, this is turning into a much uh, more critical review than I expected. Wow, you guys don't seem to be digging this. No, I have dug it. There are little things, though, and I'm not going to, you know, this is what we do on Now Playing. We spent two hours talking about a movie. If there's problems, it's going to come up, and there are problems. I don't think this is a perfect movie. Look, I saw people comparing this to The Dark Knight. Whether I recommend this or not, this is not The Dark Knight. This has story issues. Not just story, but overall writing issues, pacing issues. But how does it rank in the series and things? Let's find out. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Logan? Jacob. This is a movie that is not without fault, but... What I really enjoyed about it, one, that it was, oh, yeah, it was this Western or, or Texas noir, as Stewart is termed, where it's this slow-moving film. That there, there are moments of action, but it it's really is a slow film. Like, you could take your kids to this. I don't think they're going to enjoy it. If you don't have a problem with F-words or people's heads uh, having pointy claws put through them, regardless of that, your kids might be bored during this. But as an adult, I really enjoyed this film and what it was going for. I just wish it crossed the finish line and totally got there. But this is a strong film. It's got the dramatic moments. It does something that not a whole lot of comic book films have done. And I like a lot of those Disney Marvel ones, but they're bubblegum. They're pop. This tries to do something more serious. So yeah, I respect it a hell of a lot for that. And I think it's a strong film because it tries to explore deeper themes, even though it does it imperfectly. This is, you know, X-Men First Class is still my favorite, but this is right after. This is a strong recommend. Stuart. 
Okay, I'm glad to hear it's a stronger commitment. I, I mean, I think there's several ways of talking about this movie, and the one the shout the loudest is it's highly successful at what it's trying to accomplish. It is a bleak vision. It is an R-rated comic book movie. It caters to adults and not teenagers, and that should be really applauded. It's an untampered vision. It is The Wolverine, a movie I liked, maybe more than many people liked, but done in a way that it feels without studio interference and commercial compromises. And Hugh Jackman gives it his all. I actually think he's going out big here, guns blazing, no vanity, going to go through this torture to deliver sort of a passion of the wolf kind of performance. And I think that it's meaningful for those that have loved this character. I think any problem I have with this movie is rooted in the fact that I've never cared that much about Wolverine. I don't think that he's interesting. I I think the complaints that you guys talk about in his story arc are complaints I've had from the get-go. He's just kind of dull and one-dimensional, and we don't see his interior life because he's mostly just growling and angry. But they've made a movie that matches that. And I think this this is the best send-off that you could ever hope for, for this character. So that's my one ding, is that I'm just not a Wolverine guy, but even being that as it may, I think this is a strong recommend. And I think this is a breath of fresh air, much like Deadpool was last year in a totally different way, but to bring something new to the superhero genre that we're just, it feels like it's all we review anymore. It feels like that's almost all they put out anymore in theaters. And so to have an R-rated adult film that is not afraid to have the slow beats I really like. And even though I did feel the Munsons was one diversion too many, I never felt this movie was necessarily too long. I never felt like it needed to get to it. I just felt like some of the things it did with its time weren't the best use of time. It hurdles that very low bar of being the best Wolverine solo film. And I've come around a bit on The Wolverine, having rewatched it several times on cable. And I just think that that ending is so ridiculously stupid. And this one, when they got the R rating and Mangold got his producer title, then it did everything together. And I think I agree with you, Jacob. I think this is the second best X-Men film. I think that First Class will always be my favorite. They're going to have to do really, really well to get a movie I love, like I love First Class. But I really like this film. It left me cold, though, and it made me really go back again. I think my problem isn't Wolverine the character, a character I really like. I still don't know how many acting chops Jackman has. I don't think this is going to be his statue-winning performance. But Mangold is a director that, even when I like his films, I always feel there's just something that's missing in the emotionality. Copland. I like Copland, but I never loved Copland. I, never I mean, loved I love Johnny Cash, but Walk the Line, yeah. I, yeah. I was felt cold during that one. Girl Interrupted. I like it, but I never felt like it had the big swells of emotion. It never clicked with me the way it seemed to click with some audiences. And God forbid I bring up Night and Day or Kate and Leopold. So I think this is a director that doesn't make movies that resonate with me as deeply. But it's still a very good movie. I really enjoyed it. It is something new for superheroes. And yes, I agree. I can't think of a better way for both Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman to say goodbye to their characters if they really do. Patrick Stewart has said after seeing this movie, he thinks this is the end for him because he wants to end on a high note. If so, he did. 
Jackman. He's kind of hedged his stories a little bit lately, but if this is the end for him, it is a very good one. Solid recommend. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you guys. I feel like First Class is still the best one. It, it does everything right. You know, this one is just less entertainment geared. I mean, I think it doesn't aim to give the same kind of pleasures that other X-Men movies do. It is somber. You have to meet Wolverine at his level. And so it's equally as well made a movie, but I just think it's one that I wouldn't rewatch a whole lot. It doesn't have a whole lot of repeat viewing appeal to me, but I do think those two are the best and an interesting place to leave the franchise where they can go from here. I guess you say television. That that seems to be where they're going to go. Well, no, they have a lot of movie plans. First of all, James Mangold is working. I mentioned Mad Max and it's just now clicking with me. They're going to be doing a black and white home video release of this film. Yeah, I did read that. That that did seem like, oh, I really want to do that Fury Road thing. Why? Because they did it with Fury Road and they got a lot of acclaim. That That is my take, at least. Okay, I did. all right. I mean, I thought this movie looked great. I thought that the, the color palette was tremendous. Yeah, no, I like the browns, and it, it built that bleakness, the color scheme. Uh-huh, and the blues. There's a one scene of Logan and Professor X early on in the night, and it's just this blue scene. I love the color in this film. But yes, they are going to do a black and white cut of this. And then... This summer, coming out of nowhere and not even officially confirmed, but the actors have all said they're doing it, they're picking up with that X-Men First Class series and the new Cyclops and the new Phoenix, rumored to be directed by Simon Kinberg, the writer who's been with this franchise since the beginning, X-Men Supernova, a retelling of the X-Men Phoenix storyline that we'll be discussing in about a year. So they're shooting it this summer and it's coming out next year. Yes. With who? But it's the first class group, not the 80s group? Well, it's the 80s group, that first class okay. continuity with Gene Gray, Cyclops, uh, James McAvoy. Yes. Well, th- that's what I expected. Yeah, they're going to try to do Last Stand right. Without Wolverine. Was Wolverine not in the Phoenix story? Well, he was in the comic story, but apparently no. I mean, taking place in the 90s, they wouldn't have to have Logan. He wasn't in Apocalypse, right? He was in Apocalypse in that cameo. Oh, that's right. He had a cameo. I keep thinking they might want to recast him to introduce a Wolverine that's younger. But I guess the point is, he always looks this way because he always regenerates. Yeah, but he does slowly age. So if you're going back to the 80s or 90s, you could get a lookalike. And then they're working on a New Mutants film that also they're wondering if McAvoy might be tied to taking on a new group of students. Eh. Okay. I mean, I'm not opposed. I mean, I wouldn't be firm on this. I think X-Men is one of the best, most consistent superhero franchises we have. Outside of Origins and I think Apocalypse, like everything's gotten green arrows. Yeah. I mean, I gave Apocalypse a green arrow. For me, the problems have been Deadpool and and Origins and Generation X. And for me, the problem not counting Generation X has been... uh, Yeah, I don't count that. (laughs) Apocalypse. But then... Coming out of this film, Simon Kinberg has said they're looking at a solo film for X-23. They're looking at a film of Canadian mutants, Alpha Flight. And they're talking about doing The Exiles. So they are really heavily doubling down, tripling down on this X-Men universe. 
Of course, the only thing they've absolutely confirmed, Deadpool 2. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I understand that. This is what Fox has. Fantastic Four didn't work for them, and they could either sell it to Marvel and lose all that profit that Deadpool 2 is going to give them, or they could stick to it and just build their mutant universe. And I did notice the Marvel logo at the beginning of this. It looked like all of the comic book clips we saw were just exclusively of X-Men, so... And it's the old Marvel flipping logo, that 3D cubic Marvel logo that includes movie scenes is just for Marvel Studios now. So I'm wondering what Spider-Man as a joint venture will get. They're not in any kind of talks to to share the universe with the Marvel proper, right? There's, I know Hugh Jackman says he wants to hang out with the Avengers, but it's just not going to happen. Talks broke down. Things are a little bit less chilly between Fox and Marvel than they were three years ago because Fox studio heads changed. But no, Fox is holding on to their universe very, very greedily because, I mean, Disney's a monolith. They've got Star Wars and they've got the Avengers and other studios are gripping any franchise they can have just to not give Disney another one. Yeah, well, you know what? These are reasons to stay. Even though I wasn't like crazy about Deadpool, Deadpool and Logan are reasons to give confidence that Fox can do something that Marvel proper, under Disney anyway, could never do. Let's let them do this. Let them keep going. And we're going to keep going. I think that it's good to just talk about our schedule coming up since this is our big weekend of release. Yeah, we did John Wick and Resident Evil, but this is our first big movie of 2017. Summer comes earlier and earlier every year. (laughs) If you didn't know, on Friday, we put out a bonus review of The Warriors for patrons of our Podbean patron campaign. It's a crowdsourcing we're doing as a way to raise funds for the people who've always donated more than the minimum we've asked. You can set that up and get exclusive bonus reviews. Stuart, you finally got a chance to talk about the Warriors. You've been talking about the Warriors for eight years, but now you got a full show to do it. Yeah, I'm really happy with the show. It's a lot of fun, and I got to do things with the Warriors I'd never done before. So if you want to know what that was, you can go join in and and listen to the show. And we will be back doing theatrical releases in about seven weeks, The Fate of the Furious. I got to see that trailer coming before this one, and I hear that movie's as long as this one. I'm sure it's every minute is good, too. Very tight storytelling, yes. How could you cut anything from the brilliance of a Fast and Furious sequel? Oh, my goodness. Yes, and uh, of course, we have lots of Lynch in between as we build up to the new season. Twin Peaks is coming starting May 21st. We will have new episodes to talk about, but we're wrapping that up now in the old ABC version and talking about all the Lynch films in between. Yeah, over at NowPeakingPodcast.com. I know not too many of you listeners have joined us over there yet. I hope you really do. We've been putting out an episode a day, so we're tearing through these. If you need to just kind of catch up and keep up, if you have Showtime, Showtime is airing two episodes of Twin Peaks every Sunday. We've already passed them, so you can watch on Showtime. You can also catch up on the Showtimes, the ones you've missed on Netflix or Amazon, and then listen to our shows. We stay pretty spoiler-free. We're only discussing what we know up to that episode, pretty much. And 
we're about to discuss Laura Palmer's killer. It is being revealed. So this week over at NowPeakingPodcast.com, we discuss the most climactic episodes of that series. We hope you can join us. It's a donation drive we're running this winter spring. 99 cents a podcast is all we're asking or $29.99 for well over 40 podcasts. There's 30 basic episodes of Twin Peaks. Plus, they're talking 18 new ones on Showtime, so that's nearly 50 podcasts. And we thought they'd be shorter. The shortest ones are running 40 minutes. We're pretty much (laughs) averaging an hour per episode on this. I don't know if we could go short anymore. Yeah, I feel like I'm identifying with Stephen King at this point. Our short stories are long. But yeah, it's better for the listener because you get more content for every day of the week until uh, March 28th. We're going to have a new Twin Peaks show. Yeah, so we hope you can join us at nowpeakingpodcast.com. And we're going to be discussing Lynch quite a bit more our goal is to finish all of his films before the new twin peaks series starts so we're going to start that one week from today wild at heart the nicholas cage film from the early 90s directed by david lynch one in the palm door one of his most acclaimed films is it deserved well i think we're gonna have that debate it's nicholas cage and it's got the wicked witch from the west so there's definitely discussion to have that it has a spinoff or a sequel with Rosie Perez and Javier Bardem that we're going to discuss. <laughs> David Lynch was not involved, but it's called Dance with the Devil here in the States or Perdita Durango. That's in two weeks. And in three weeks, it's hard to believe our entire Twin Peaks conversation will be wrapped up. And here at Now Playing, we're going to be reviewing the movie Fire Walk With Me. You could hear our discussion of the Twin Peaks pilot for free on the Now Playing feed. The first movie and the last movie here at Now Playing as we, I think, put the final nail in the coffin of Laura Palmer. Well, who knows what season three is going to have, but I have certainly enjoyed going through every episode of the series and hope you can join us there. It's a whole lot of fun. And then, of course, lots of stuff coming up this summer. We're going to be continuing our Alien series, Alien Covenant. Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Later, we're going to have our spring donation movie series. Because of now peaking, we're just doing one movie series. It's Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. New trailer out for that one. Not to mention Wonder Woman, Planet of the Apes is coming back. Christopher Nolan has a new film, and it looks really good. I'm excited for this summer. A lot of stuff to discuss. So we'll talk to you next week, bub. Today's attack was only our first salvo. Our war will rage, and your cities will not be safe. Your streets will not be safe. You will not be safe. And to my fellow mutants, I make you this offer. Join us or stay out of our way. Thank you for listening to the now playing X-Men movie retrospective series. We are the future, Charles, not them. They no longer matter. Part of our Marvel Comics movie series. Told you if you came down this road, you would like what you found. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another movie review. The professor trusted you were smart enough to discover this on your own. He gives you more credit than I do. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics films, such as the Avengers films, Spider-Man movies, and many more, as well as reviews of other series, such as Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, Philip K. Dick, and Tron. 
We also have individual movie reviews, such as Avatar, Inception, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. This is also crazy sounding. You said the same thing about my other ideas four years ago, but everything I said I could do, I've done. And now you're a chitting millionaire. And while at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Marvel movie films with other listeners. Show's over. Show's never over for us. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Oh no, finish your tweet. There you go, hashtag it. Links to our social media pages are found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Do I look like a man who exaggerates? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Don't you have any decency? Where's your sense of gratitude? Do you think I have needs? I think I'm just here to be your dream grid guru? I want out of here! I want to hit the big time! You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcasts by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. I'd say that you sound like an infomercial, but not a good one, like Slap Chop, more Shake Weighty. Now Playing's X-Men Retrospective series is edited by Arnie. They say you're the bad guy. Is that what they say? Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or 20th Century Fox. The Marvel characters and all the Marvel Universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Marvel Publishing Incorporated, and no infringement is intended. Oh, you get the point! The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Apparently we have some issues with authority. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. Class dismissed. Did we just lose the feed? Are we still alive? The year is 2029. <coughs> <and> mutants are. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry about that. I thought I was on mute and realized. I oh, wasn't. I thought I thought it was Arnie. No, that was me. It, it was me after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're both falling apart. It's like. Charles and Logan. Yeah, we'll just call you Caliban Stores. <laughs> Fantastic Four was different too, but probably not for the reasons that they wanted. No. They did say during the promotion of this film, there will not be a Fantastic Four 2. Well, did they need to say it? Helping to care for Charles is the sun-sensitive music. The trio bond a bit on the road and they stop at Las Vegas. The Reavers attack and are Oklahoma slain City. by one of Xavier's seizures. Oh, it's Oklahoma City, not Vegas. What was that? It's Oklahoma City, not Vegas. He's right. Oh. Don't, isn't Hannah Harris a... It's, it's, trust me, it's Oklahoma oh. City. <laughs> it's a franchise casino. It's They're everywhere. Yeah. Okay, I I knew that there was an Oklahoma City sign, but then I thought they actually made it to Vegas. No, okay. Vegas is the wrong direction. If you're going. I thought yeah, so, too. North I Dakota. was like, where the hell? <laughs> there it's a pretty thankless job he said he has to make professor x spotted dick and fold logan's underwear spotted dick is a dessert i just yes. want to put it out <laughs> yes there. i know what it is i wasn't trying to be dirty i, I know what spotted <laughs> dick is well just for the americans out there that probably thought it was yeah, some weird sex exactly joke. i think it puts a different image if you don't know the pastry but yeah it is 
You think Dunkirk looks good? It looks like a movie I wouldn't be seeing without now playing. But I like that teaser trailer. The tra- they put best out. trailer of the summer. Yeah, it leaves me with questions, which I like. That's what the trailer should do. Well, it, it doesn't tell me what I'm seeing, which I don't like. So it tell, but it makes me want to see it. So, eh, well, well, difference of opinions. Maybe that I'm sure the hype machine is going to go into overdrive, and maybe I'll feel differently by the time it comes out this August, this July. So. 